Yeah, Chris Thomas. Oh, Sugar Carm. Jamal Thomas. You're listening to the Running Back Sports Show, Sports for the Culture. What's going on, everybody? What's going on? You're listening to us on WJY, yeah, 98.5, and on UptownRadioPhilly.org. We have a really good show today. We're still going to be talking about the NBA season is winding down. Less than 10 games left on pretty much everybody's schedule, so still got a bunch of those seating precautions, playing tournaments. The Lakers are about a half game completely out of the playoffs. Uh, the number one seed is now just one game out, depending on four teams in the East, where the Heat, the Bucks, the Celtics, and the Sixers. Uh, still some NFL free agency talk. Speaking of that, we got my guy who I met down at the Senior Bowl, Nick Farber, uh, Lions fan. He's the co-host for the Honolulu, the Honolulu Blues uh, podcast. It's a Lions podcast, so he's going to talk to us about some Detroit Lions and some NFL drafts, and also about what are his thoughts about the Detroit Lions being on Hard Knocks this year. Let's go Lions, NFC North champions. Yep. If you want to call to join the discussion, the number is 215-763-9596. But without further ado, let's talk about the giant elephant in the room that has been taking over not only just sports debates, but just the entire world. The slap heard around the world. Um, Chris Rock at the Chris Rock at the Oscars. Chris Rock at the Oscars made a joke to uh, about to Jada Pickett Smith about her hair. Next thing you know, Will Smith went on stage and knocked the Sonic rings out of him. So, um, so I, I've uh, had some time to decompress about this. Uh, as an internet generation baby, as the rest of us, um, you know, we always love the meme of it. In anything, you know, uh, when any incident happens, the first thing we do is to check the internet, whether that's Twitterverse, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, and laugh our behinds off at the memes, right? Mm -hmm. And then when the dust settles in a lot of those situations, you kind of are able to truly form your opinion because just in the moment, you're just spending the time enjoying it. I won't say enjoy, you know, enjoying it. I'm sorry, that was funny. I like, let's start there. Um, it was funny, <laughs> like in the moment, in the aftermath of it, it was hilarious. If you say it wasn't, then you're taking life too seriously because then if that's the case, you should be worried about the war in Ukraine. You should be worried about hunger, and you should be worried about homelessness, and you should be worried about a corrupt government system. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. That was hilarious. Um, that's first thing. Uh, secondly, after, you know, having different conversations and taking in different people's opinions on it, um, honestly, I've come around to the conclusion that I don't like the way Will Smith conducted himself in that situation. Uh, I do believe that, uh, you know, women of color, particularly black women, are some of the least respected and least protected people on this planet, let alone in America. Um, you know, with the opposite end of the spectrum being they are the most well-graduated and well-paid in a lot of their fields. So, um, you know, I do understand a lot of people looking at this as a moment for a black man to stand up for his black woman. And I'm all for that. But the truthful optic behind the situation is that on national television, an accomplished uh, black media mogul slapped another accomplished black media mogul for the world to see and to make jokes about. And truthfully, I'm gonna be honest, I think that is what will always stick out more than even the reason he, he actually slapped Chris Rock. I think that will be lost in it. I think the fact that he won his first ever Best Actor Oscar, which is pretty much the MVP award of the Oscars, will be overlooked. 
And, you know, like, it does just show that in a country where we, you know, talk about um, homicide rates, or in the city, let's be honest, especially because a lot of people in Philly were like, yeah, that's how we do it. Yeah, that's Philly, da, da, da. In a city where we are consistently in the top five in the country in homicide rate, in a city where men consistently do not know how to handle situations properly, whether that's talking it out, whether that's resolving it in a different way, coming at it a different day, and all of these types of things, we are now glorifying, even though it was the lowest form of violence I think we can talk about. Like, you know, he didn't punch him, he didn't, like, throw him, he didn't choke him, Homer Simpson style. He slapped him, like, challenged him to a duel in the Tom and Jerry sense, which made it even more comedic. But I think it also speaks to a larger problem is that we feel as though the only way to protect the people that we love, especially not in, she was never in any danger. Let's not be, let's, let's, let's call a, a, a spade a spade here. She was never in danger. He never like actually said anything physically. He never put him, her in a situation to be physically accosted or anything like that. So for me, I just feel like it was reactionary. It was a situation of in a public space, he was embarrassed as a man. Um, obviously he's taken a lot of flack the last couple of years of things that have come out publicly about their marriage. And I think that was a huge building block of it. Um, obviously his autobiography has come out recently and people are citing, you know, he talks about his father's alcohol abuse and abuse of his mother and things that made him feel like he was less of a man as a child because he felt like he couldn't protect his mother. So I think a lot of those different things play into that situation. But as someone who doesn't curse in his rap, as someone who promotes a mostly drug-free lifestyle of his own, as someone who stands for so many things that are supposed to be above and supposed to be this, I don't want to say godlike, but this supposed, like, clean example of Philly, you know, because we have our Meeks and we have our, you know, Kevin Hart's and people like that who, who, who have come out. But, you know, they kind of have sorted past depending on what you look at. For the most part, the best way I can describe Will is he's the LeBron James as far as image of, Philadelphia as far as like there's no real bad things you can be up in his past there's no really things you can really point to he's just kind of clean cut and always there ready to say the right thing and I just think on a night where he was going to accomplish something that he's been trying to accomplish since the early 90s is to be taken truly seriously as one of the greatest actors to ever be on screen and that night will now be shrouded in something that though some people are going to commend him about I think when we look back in years I'll be honest, if John Travolta makes that joke, I don't think he slaps him. The Rock makes that joke, I don't think he slaps him. I think the situation, he saw an opportunity, and, you know, given everything that was going on, because he initially laughed at the joke. Like, like let's, let's be real, let's break down the replay like it's sports. He initially laughed at the joke, everyone around him initially laughed at the joke, even Jada, and then she rolled her eyes. Thusly, he noticed her reaction, and then reacted based off that. If you were that offended initially, your initial reaction should have been that. But because you saw how your wife was re reacted and how people in the attendance noticed how your wife reacted, you decided to take it to another level on national television. To the point where if it was really, I'm, I'm just going to be honest and I'm going to say this. If you're going to do something, stand on it. Don't apologize in your speech and cry. Don't then apologize to Chris the next day. If you did that, be like, hey, I did that and I'd do it again if I needed to. I would respect that more. But to do it and then to do the whole media training mm -hmm. apology and make a statement thing, it goes to show that, to me, this was a lot more calculated than people want to give it. It wasn't this emotionality to it that I think people want to give it. And that's how I personally feel. I don't know how you guys feel, but that's how I've been feeling the last couple of days.
Go ahead, Carmen. I've been waiting to hear how you feel about this. <laughs> um, <coughs> I was watching it live, and when it happened, I was I was just like, "What?" I was like, "That just happened." I was just shocked that that happened. I was I thought that was like a joke. I was like, "Oh, he just he just playing like they just up there playing with each other." I'm like, "What's going?" On? I really at first I was like, "The will just smack the crap out of Chris Rock." <laughs> I couldn't believe it, you know. And then like when they bleeped, I was like, "Oh, he's like getting mad. Like something's going on." And then after the fact, I still was like cracking. I was like, yo, we'll just slap the crap out of Chris Rock. Like, I just started laughing. I kept laughing. Not that it's funny, but it said someone no, was getting funny. hit. But it's just like in that moment, the way he just did it, it was just like, what? And then, mind you, my biggest thing with the whole situation was then Will was allowed to sit down back in the audience and just be back in the audience watching the show. Like, you don't remove Will from the Oscars. I understand he's, you know, he's nominated. He's up for Best Oscar, Best um, Actor. But... He just slapped the, he just assaulted someone who's presenting at the Oscars. Like, how was he just allowed to sit in his seat? Like, no, like, no kind of usher came over. It just, like, I get it in the live moment. Like, you know, it had been, I guess they didn't want to make a bigger scene and get someone in it because it kind of just ended after the slap. But it's like, how was he allowed to just sit back down? Like, if it was someone else, like, of lesser caliber, they probably would have been removed. Like, you got to go. Oh, yeah. So I was just kind of, like, surprised that Will was still able to sit there through the rest of the show. And then he wins. Which I thought, like, wow, well, then you win. Then he gets up there and starts crying, talking about love. Love will make you do crazy things. I'm like, that is the wrong thing to say. Like, don't say that. Don't. That's what abusers say. Yeah, love will make you do crazy things. I love her so much. I beat the crap out of her. Like, that's not something that doesn't that doesn't make up for what you did. I mean, in my opinion, I get the part of like black women and women in general are, you know, we are always the butt of a joke. It's always you know, it's, it's an easy target. And from what he said, here's how I see it. From just a regular, like a regular woman's standpoint, what he said about her, about the Demi Moore joke, about like her being... Uh, G.I. Jane Part 2. Yeah, G.I. Jane Part 2. So in G.I. Jane 1, she looks really good with the bald head. She looks really good. She looks great in that movie. That was one of her well-known roles. It's not like <laughs> you said like, oh yeah, like... Oh, Jada, I know you're gonna be in Kim Possible Three. Um, you know, naked muskrat type vibe. You know what I mean? Like, if she would have said something, yeah, you know, like if she would have said that, then it's like, all right, you you disrespecting, like you coming, like you know, you're you're you're, you're laughing at my illness. You know what I mean? Me. Exactly. Like you're trying to play me out. But he just said that. But honestly, like, here's how I seen it in, in the most basic of terms. She has a bald head now, which is not like she never has rocked short. She always rocks shortcuts. I've never seen her with long hair. Barely, she, right. unless it's for a role. Right, so she always wears shirt. And I understand, I don't know what it's like to have alopecia, and I'm not laughing about it, but just the fact that she didn't have any hair, and she had on all green. So I get what he was saying. Like, I get the pun. Like, oh, ha-ha, like, yeah, G.I. Jane vibes. It was true. It was giving G.I. Jane vibes. It, it was. Giving, it was so I think the joke was supposed to be lighthearted, because here's the thing, earlier in the show, Regina Hall made a joke about their marriage and how, Will, you really single good up here and get on this stage because you're a bachelor. And Jada was, like, kind of looking at her like, girl, you funny, like, cracking up, but, like, kind of like, uh-uh. You know what I mean? So she took that lightly. But then when he just said, you look like G.I. Jane, she gets all twisted in the face. Like, I think she just took it too personal about the hair thing. But, again, I don't know how it feels to have that disease, so I can't speak on it. But his reaction to me, I think... I'm never going to fault, like, my man or anybody who loves me to stick up for me. But at the same time, I think in the way he went about it and how he did it, I just think it was, like, really uncalled for for what happened. Like, if Chris Rock 
physically has tried to like you know assault her or even like that that joke about the like you know really coming at her illness that's something or you could have said like yo chris like watch yourself like getting up and like slapping him like that like i think that was a little extreme you know what i mean i think he really just tainted a whole career of just you know having a positive image and now he tainted it over this one moment which i feel like it wasn't that deep of a moment there's been worse things said about you and jada to, but I guess he felt like he was sitting there. But it's true, he was laughing initially. Like, he was laughing. People said, oh, it's like a nervous laugh. He just laughed, and then he kind of realized what was said. But I just think Jada got mad and kind of, you know, might have looked at him away, and then he felt like he had to, you know, he had to kind of get up. <laughs> but it's like, and then I read some things um, today, and someone was saying how Jada should have protected Will. Like, nah, Will, you know, when seeing him get up, Jada should have said, Will, stop. This is your night. Like, this is not the time to go, you know, address Chris Rock or whatever it was on your big night. You know what I mean? Because Jada's a grown-ass woman. She got out, She could have cursed him the hell out after the show. Like, listen, bitch. And, and, and like, put out a public tweet or whatever. <laughs> what? Oh, sorry. Um, Sorry, guys. Family show. But, yeah, so... Jada could have said whatever Jada wanted to say later after the fact. Exactly. But I don't think it was wrong. I don't think Will was wrong for feeling a feeling offended for Jada or wanting to like stick up for Jada. There's nothing wrong with that. But just the way he went about it. And then afterwards with the speech about love and we need to love and I'm a vessel for this and that. And then you just went up here and just assaulted Chris Rock like that. And luckily, honestly, Chris Rock didn't he take like it. A professional. Yeah, like how most people would have taken it, which is just hit back. And like it would have been a whole fight on the Oscars. Rumbling in there. You know what I mean? And then some, and Jim Carrey, I just saw this thing he posted talking about. He was saying that the people at the Oscars, the people in the, uh, in the audience, they were kind of like, I forget what he, what he called them. But he was just saying that the people who stood up and gave Will an ovation after his whole charade and then like him winning, it's just kind of like y'all are, y'all are horrible too because it's like why are you, you know, up in this man after he just did that? But I mean, I don't know. It's hard. I I do think it was a little much. He didn't have to do all that. You really went above and beyond and ruined your career. I don't think he ruined career his career. No, you ruined his career defining night though. But I think yeah, I think that definitely is gonna be a marker when people talk about him now, especially audiences that are not minorities are going to be you know once you're like once they done that's just something like that that's distasteful you know what i mean it's like we done we cool on you will you know what i mean like will had to pass now it's like uh well you kind of in that category i hate to say it but it's just the truth no i i agree with you i just think and i don't know what chris's point is going to be but to echo your point it's funny because like i'm at this weird intersection with it where i personally think you could have handled that better but it's also like when I hear white people kind of talking about it and like the whole respectability politics of like you have to be a certain type of black person or a certain type of colored person to be accepted a certain way. I kind of want to be like, no, and slap them again. But then I realize my issue isn't about I don't care about what those people are going to do, because let's be real. They still going to go out to see his movies. They still going to love Chris Rock. They're going to get online and they're going to do the whole oh, violence is never the answer, even though our entire country and political foundation was founded on violence. Right. Literally. No, but, that's completely true. <laughs> so and if you really want to get into it about the real history about the Oscars, this is not the hill you want to die on. Exactly. No, screw the Oscars. Seriously, this is people. This is the worst moment in Oscar history. Right, no, the no, worst moment in Oscar history when the 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 woman who won best uh, best supporting actress, um, black the black lady, um, with, um, Hattie McDaniel. Yeah, she wasn't she even a last. She barely was even invited. She didn't even get an Oscar. She got a plaque, which they don't even know where the where it is. 
And then what happened with um, the Native American woman who went up there to accept Marlon Brando's award for him, she got booed, and um, Clint Eastwood was making derogatory comments and making fun of what she said because she just basically said, please just have some respect and show Native Americans in a positive light and not the way you're showing them. And he had this whole back, you know, back lip about it, like, who are you? And then these people are booing her when she's just up there asking for respect for our people and for the representation that they have in movies. Any immortal words of Hannibal Buress, Chris? White people out of control. No, why racism you, out of control. No, why are you booing me? I'm right. <laughs> yeah, like so. I'm not gonna say racism out of control. I mean that. Applies that I mean that too. But people who are saying <laughs> the will thing is the worst moment in Oscar history. Not but at that's all. just as a per- perfect example how people want to forget about moments that make them look bad, make mm-hmm. their people look bad. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like to show rate, like. I mean, Clint, Clint Eastwood, it's crazy. Like, when I saw that, I'm like, I would never watch another Clint Eastwood Well, Clint Eastwood film. is a known, like, yeah. bigot. Like, like he's, it's crazy. Like, he's one of the I know. Ones. I was thinking about that, too. I was like, you know, I heard he kind of is. And that's he's crazy. He's one of the ones when it comes oh, no, to the Yes. Yeah. It's Big horrible. Time. But that's okay. That's okay. That's not a of horrible moment is. in Oscar history. But Will, defend, you know, in his mind, defending his wife and just giving him a little slap, that's the worst. Because it's violence. Oh, of course. Because it's physical violence. He oh, could have killed him. Like, oh, Judd oh, Jud- Jud- Apatow was going nuts. Oh, yeah. Shut he could have killed him. He, he blacked out. <laughs> if, he, no, if he wanted to kill him, he wouldn't have slapped him. He said, unguard. <laughs> and then walked back to the seat. And then told him to keep his wife's name out of your mouth. I yeah. mean, and in Chris Rock's defense, he, he now... They're showing an older clip. I think it's from what, maybe the 2016 or 2015 Oscars. We've where they boycotted it. Yeah. Where they were boycotting it. This was a big that, thing. Yeah. And like Janet Hubert was talking about it. Like, how could you boycott the Oscars? That's the, we should gonna go. We should want to take over. And to be honest, I've always been on Janet Hubert's side, even back in the Fresh Prince thing. And I'm glad her and Will worked that out because I don't like when two people I like don't have, have smoke because then it feels like I have to choose, but I don't want to. So I'm glad that they worked that out. But the point Janet Hubert was making back then is, she she was right. It was like if we try to run or shy away from these things and we don't have any other outlet to reward ourselves for things, we're only doing what they want, which is letting them have these things. You know what I mean? Okay, but my thing is is that why do we have to and this is ultimately my issue in regards to this. This is especially goes back to the whole Maria Taylor and like the comments that Rachel Nichols made about her about oh the only reason why she got this position to begin with was like because of affirmative action. I'm tired of only, I'm tired of only being tolerated in white spaces. I want to be appreciated. Like it shouldn't took like the one of the things that they didn't show was Denzel and you Tyler know Perry. Mm-hmm. pulling uh, him aside afterwards. No, I was uh, that too. But no, the him and Samuel Jackson, you know, embracing each other after Samuel Jackson finally got an Oscar after all the movies and all the decades that he put him. What movie did he win an Oscar for? No, he got like a um. A lifetime achievement. Oh, Vanguard G. Yeah. Oh, like a yeah. Vanguard world. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So, like, they didn't show that on there. So, like, my thing is, is that when it comes to, oh, like, when, you know, celebrities and you know, white people wanted to put ourselves in that position where it's like, oh, you just lost all my respect. I'm like, and what value, like, do, does your respect matter to you? Because regardless, like, what does your respect matter? Because, like, we're in your space and we pretty, we're the entertainers. We've, we're, it's just bo- it just bothers me that people like white people in general like anoint their respect as some higher higher calling than anything else. But in regards to the world thing, I don't have a problem with it. Like I understand like the whole optics in terms of it looks bad because infighting between like bl- the black community, especially in public, looks bad. But my thing is is that Will Smith has been 
in the public eye for well over 30 plus years ever since the Fresh Prince you know I mean, think about it before that he was yeah, like before that war winning musician yeah war winning musician all that stuff back during the 80s before Fresh Prince so and like he it's like everybody talks about but over the years people talks about talks about him not, not being a man not being a man enough recently talked about you know his marriage even though they've been on record uh, about you know how open their relationship is and regardless of the jokes and the memes that people have been making about him in august he still loves his wife at the end of the day they are still married they still found a way to work this out and even before that they were talking about his kids they were talking about the way Jaden and will willow dress they talked about will's parenting style so all of that stuff in terms of what they were talking about in regards to will all that stuff builds on you and what will says he was like as a guy in my position, you just got to learn how to take it and then deal with it. All of that stuff dealing with, uh, you know, being successful, all of this roles, raising two kids, trying to make sure that they had the life that was better than, than you can ever imagine. And then people just talking crazy about you. At some point, it's like, like you said, like he's a LeBron James. It's like all of this stuff, like we don't, we don't think of Will in that way because of how he's able to conduct himself. But every man has his breaking point. And I feel like at that moment, regardless of how well it was handled or not handled in the situation, he had his breaking point. Like, yeah. think about, oh, I'm sorry. I was just no, you're gonna, fine. No, I was literally. He got just, three kids. Oh, yeah. That's oh, he it. definitely got three kids. Yeah. No, oh, oh like, you just had, oh, yeah, you had to bring no, up Trey? No, I'm just saying. Trey is out, Trey a grown man. Trey out here chilling. No. Listen, Trey is out here chilling. <laughs> I'm just saying. But anyways, good. Oh, I was just going to say, um, and it's funny to, to, to go back to the LeBron parallel and think about, do you remember earlier this year when that video came out of him in a campaign? Um, arguing and like campaign was I guess talking trash like the sun's like blowing the Lakers out he was like you wasn't even league a year ago you driving a Honda Accord F out of here da 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 whatever like you never see I mean obviously I'm sure Brian talks his trash on the court but you never see him kind of have that like he was angry a dude like campaign he laughs at a couple years ago coming off a championship being LeBron James but he felt the need to engage that's why like when teams like the Lakers or I'm not the Lakers excuse me the Wolves or teams like the Grizzlies have just been in his face and you've seen him engaging more you've seen guys like AD guys like Carmelo be frustrated and it goes to a bigger point of when you have a streak of you know people speaking on things about your life and you're in the public eye people think oh well you make millions of dollars that doesn't matter that hurts no matter how much of a and I, and, and to last not last night excuse me Sunday night was a perfect example of all these people who tell you I don't who love posting every meme of I don't care what somebody got to say about me da 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 I don't care about somebody. everybody does everybody cares regardless about, of how minor or how major, major it is no one wants to be told that there's something or no one wants to be judged as something no one wants to be seen as something and it shows that truthfully everybody everybody. Everybody wants to be loved and accepted, mm-hmm. and when you're not, it can it can lead to a lot of things, and that and that starts at a, a, at a young age. You know, when you have children who don't get proper love and acceptance, they act out, mm-hmm. and then that acting out turns into a teenager acting out, and then that teenager acting out turns into an adult acting out. You know what I mean? And, and then, then when they have kids, that that turns that into cycle it. goes exactly. So I say that to say, and I'm not trying to sit here and like sound like a 1970s hippie, like oh, spread more love and da da da, whatever the case may be, but like. For everybody who made an August Alcina meme, who, everybody who reshared one, who, everybody who laughed at a joke, you're a part of this. And whether people want to take that responsibility, he's a grown man, he has to take that responsibility, but the butterfly effect, cause and effect, Newton's law, whatever you want to say, everything has consequences. All the jokes, all the memes, 
all the moments, all these things lead up to things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I people mean, don't think that. That's the internet bullying. It's like a thing. Like, oh, man, we're going to make fun of this person, da 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 And, like, Tyler Crater has a quote where he's like, it's the internet. Just turn it off. But for a celebrity, it's really hard to. It really is. Because people are even going to come. You're going to have your mom or your aunt or whoever. Like, what the, they saying this about you, baby, da 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 They saying that about you. You know what I mean? So it's like. There's no peace. There's no peace. Yeah, I mean, I think, obviously, Will did come to a breaking point. And he just reacted. I think that's what Whoopi Goldberg was saying on The View, that Will just, you know, just reached a point and he just kind of snapped and like that. And the situation happened the way it happened. I'm sure if he could redo it, I don't know if he would do things differently. I think he definitely would slap him again. But, but I mean, people were saying, you know, Will slapped him. He sat down. He said what he said. Show went on. It's over. You know, the situation done. You know what I mean? It's just the lesson learned. Keep you, you know, watch what you say. Mm-hmm. If you're not ready to get the consequences of what someone's going to give you for saying something, it's a lesson for everybody to learn. You don't want to have a, you don't want to put yourself in that position. Don't talk about people. Don't, don't be talking smack about people. You know what I mean? And I understand that to an extent. But I do think, and people were, I know people were making, this not how I necessarily feel, but I saw people were commenting and saying that, you know, kids are watching the Oscars and they see Will Smith slapping someone and that's what we preach to people not to do, like not to resort to, you know, physical violence when you're unhappy with something or you don't like something. That's like the basics of trying to, you know, raise kids to do things the right way, what's the right way, da 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 And I do agree that when you want to have in the perfect sense that hitting someone is not the answer, in the perfect world, you know, but I guess everyone has their breaking point. But I, I just thought I didn't like that from him. I I was kind of like, why would you just go that far with it? Because I just feel I, I just don't think the joke was was in mean spirit. Like, I just feel like the joke was honestly just off of her just appearance of the night. Exactly. And, okay. and that's just the Oscars. And they come at everybody. They roast celebrities and which how bad your movie was and how you look and your date and your dress and what you're wearing. Like, they do that every Oscars. Like, you know that. Okay. But at the same time, it's like one one perspective, yes, it is a joke. But two, you don't get to dictate how somebody reacts or doesn't react. But to react. get up and slap somebody for making a joke that wasn't something that I think, like I said, mean-spirited. Like, I understand. But it's just, I just think he literally was just making a joke because she had a bald head, because she was wearing green. You remind me of G.I. Jane. Yeah. That's all. It, that's, I mean, to me, I feel like that's all he was trying to do. I get that. But some, that some, top, but some topics, some, yeah, but some topics, some jokes are a little bit uncomfortable in terms of in their comfort zone, in terms of it. Why would you joke about this? It's like. If somebody, if <laughs> one of your friends was, you know, says something, you know, personal about you that you guys joke all the time, sure, that's fine because you're, yeah, because that's your homie, that's your boy. But if somebody you really don't know that's not really in your consistent inner circle makes the same joke, you're going to feel some type of way about that. I mean, because I get it. I get it. If some, if, you know, if I'm going through this sensitive topic, I'm going, I'm losing my hair. You know, I don't want people shining it on national television when I'm not even nominated. I'm just there supporting my man. Like, why are you talking about me? I get that. Yeah. I understand. I, I guess I would feel a way too. But as Jada, I don't know if I would have let Will get up there though. You know what I mean? Oh, no, I, I don't would like, respect I'd the been, energy and be like, yeah, I'd okay, I'm like, it's down. okay, Will, sit down. You know what I mean? Because it's like just knowing that this moment's not about me. Like, yes, I'm hurt because of the mean spirit. I felt like it's a mean spirited joke if I'm hurt. But knowing that it's this big night and just seeing him about to get up on stage <coughs> and like who knows what he's going to do, mm-hmm. I would have been like, yo, like sit down. It's cool. And then I would have handled it. Later, like I would have cursed Chris, Chris Rock out. Yeah, exactly. and I would have been on Twitter like oh, yeah, blasting him, whatever. That. You know what I mean? Like just in that moment, seeing him getting up, <laughs> I think I might have grabbed his hand, like sit down, like it's okay. You know what I mean? Because it's not like 
if it was like a say it was like a, something worse or he like, like tried really yeah, some, something crazy yeah, then, that's then maybe I'd have been more angry and like go up there and handle it but I just I don't know like I think her reaction just looked like she was more annoyed like really that's her face looked her face I, it's funny because I said this to my friend yesterday I was like her face looked like she was like that was like it was kind of like a like, that was corny whatever yeah like oh god you oh, know what I mean like that kind of thing I didn't think she looked so like I didn't think she looked you know like he really, sat back down she was kind of like right but you don't know how people were really feeling off their facial expressions and I and it is a sense of going through that as a woman losing your hair that, that I can't imagine how that feels because yeah. as me as a woman like I think about it twice before I cut my hair and that's not even shaving a ball you know what I mean yeah. so just clipping some ends yeah so I understand but I just think it just, I think it hurt Will more than it defended Jada in that moment. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, Will now will have this following him and these and this whole narrative going on for years to come because of this. And some people can just say, listen, Will slapped him, it's done. You know what I mean? He defended her, it's done. It's not going to be done. And I think it's going to just affect them more and it's going to be what they're going to be talking. Like, when they do interviews going forward, people are going to bring this stuff up. They're ne- it's going to be another thing on the Will and Jada narrative that they're not going to let go. Okay. Yeah, but in my closing arguments, it's just, in the end, you don't know what that person is going through depending on what you say. It's like, for as long as me and you have done this show, even back in Germantown, the biggest thing we talked about is the fans versus, like, Russell Westbrook in terms of how the fans treat Russell Westbrook and NBA fans. It's like, let me let me pose you this. If one day Russell Westbrook was just having a bad day and a fan literally just was popping off in the mouth crazy, would... I'm not saying would he be right or wrong. Would Russell Westbrook be justified going up and smacking the hell out of that fan? I mean, do you remember the Vernon Maxwell incident? Yeah. Do you know about this incident? So Vernon Maxwell used to play for the Rockets back in the day, back in the the Hakeem days when they won the back-to-back titles. He was like one of their six men. So I think they were in Utah, and a fan said something wild to him. So he decided during the timeout to walk up in the stands and smack the crap out of the fan, and then he proceeded to walk back down. And go sit back on the bench. I think he got suspended maybe like two games or whatever. And it was what it was. Mm-hmm. And so this is not an unprecedented thing. Like, don't get it messed up. Like, obviously, in these type of settings, the best thing I heard is uh, someone of our age or a little bit older than us was like, we come from a generation where talk is she get hit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's just the truth. Like, you, 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 whether it's in school, you roasting somebody, whether it's you say something about somebody's sneakers on the way balking past you or something like that or whatever, you have to be prepared for the possibility that that person will go in your mouth, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. So I understand exactly what everyone who wants to glorify that style of handling things, but here's my issue, right? And this is how I feel. And this is how I've always felt about violence in general. I only feel the need to put my hands on people if my life is in danger or someone I love or around me's life is in danger. This whole respect thing makes zero sense to me. And what I mean when I say that, or what bothers me is like, Oh, if you disrespect my wife, I'm going to put hands on you. What does that mean? Like, what does that actually mean? Like, what? well, let's really break that down. That's like, say if, Carmen, you're out with your fella, right? And some guy's like, ha, ha, his date's ugly. What, is he supposed to kick that guy's behind? What is that going to do? Right. Like, honestly, what is that actually going to do for you? Right. Is I this- expected him to say something, but you ain't got to hit him unless he try to hit you. The- <laughs> <laughs> but even that mindset of, and I'm not saying just let anybody say something, but what is that guy saying that going to do? You? Even if, you know what I'm saying? No, but, but, but my point is. I get is, what you're saying. Like, how does that affect my life either way? Really? Like, is, is this guy, are you ever going to see this guy again? Is his opinion really matter? Because the dude who's about to put a ring on your finger, the one you're dating doesn't think you're ugly. So why does it matter? 
So now he has to possibly get out of character with someone that could either fight better than him, be trained, have a gun, or whatever, or just be somebody looking to start something. Yeah, that's funny. Because I've seen someone post about this. They were saying that they got somebody's teeth removed from their hands, because front teeth, because the girl, a girl that the guy was with wanted him to defend her over a parking spot. And they ended up fighting, and he punched his teeth out. I was like, oh. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm going to be honest. I've mm. always been on the school of, if it ain't worth it, I'm not doing it. The Kevin Hart joke. I know he's hyperbolic when he says that. And he's like, well, if you know, you come near me and and uh, such as I think he was like making an example of like a Brock Lesnar or a Rock type of person. It was like, if you got smacked, you just got smacked. And I'm not saying that that's who I am as a person, but I kind of take that obviously to not that level. But I get what he's saying. It's like certain situations are not always going to require me to just be like, I'm willing to die for this. It's like, if there's a situation that's necessary for that, then yes. If Will and Jada are out at a restaurant and a random fan is getting real weird and antsy, smack that man. Punch that man. Put him out. Do what you got to do. Like Will Smith did years ago with that reporter. No, but even then, even but even that was playful and joking. And even though he was like, hey, it was a, it was funny. It was like a ha-ha pause wiper moment. You know what I mean? But like a, Chris Rock was in no immediate danger of your wife. And people think this thing of like, ego is... One of the worst things that we can have in this world, it causes wars, it goes through all this thing. And like I said, ego can also be a great thing. It can make people great. It's the reason Michael Jackson was great. Kanye was great. Uh, 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 Kobe, Jordan, all these guys, they had the ego to back up their work ethic and their confidence, right? Mm -hmm. But the biggest problem, Chris, and this will be my closing argument, is that I want people to think that at the end of the day, right, you go out, whether whoever you're with, right, and y'all are having a great time and somebody says something out of bounds to you, you got two reactions. You can let it pass, right? And maybe that person walks off, feels dumb or whatever. Or you can address it. And now you've gotten yourself to an altercation where you have to, as a man, defend your woman. But what I say is this, is some people are like, oh, don't let it get to a physical altercation. Don't let it. I have this thing where I like to call the danger meter. And I feel like everybody has it. You can tell when an altercation is going to get physical. Mm -hmm. Like the joke was saying, like, he walked up to you with a purpose. You knew you were about to get slapped, Loki. Like, like Peter walking up on the stage and yeah. punching the guy in the eye and the family guy cut away. You knew why he was coming up there. Whether he was going to smack you or not, you knew it was going to be a problem. Yeah. So I say the same thing in the situation of, like, if I'm out and somebody says something wild to my girl, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on what they say, it might not matter to me. And that sounds messed up. And someone will be like, that means you don't care. That means you don't defend me. It's, no, I'm using discretion and being smart. Because what if I say something wild to this man and he got a gun? So I just died over nothing. So now I'm dead, and then you're going to date and fall in love with somebody else, but I'm dead, and I defended your honor. Sweetie, you're just going to be lonely for the rest of your life because I defended your honor? I'm logical and I'm real about stuff. I, I don't – I would never – there are times where I've had girls that I wanted to be physically accosted by my partner, and I did not tell them at the time. Why? Because why would I put you in that situation if it's not that deep? If I didn't get physically hurt – or somebody didn't really bother me or really, really hurt my, my feelings or hurt me as a person, why would I put you and my partner in something like that? Mm -hmm. But the problem is, in a lot of ways that we have these double standards that go towards women or whatever the case may be, it's the opposite way when it comes to men is we're supposed to just act off of emotion and be, and be ridiculous and be stupid. And Will fell into it last night. And then you had to turn around the next day and issue an apology. No, I'll agree to that. Some things, some things you just got to let wash off your back. But at the same time, it's like, in the end, it's like, you don't know what a person's going through in their head in terms of what you say to them. So in the end, you got to be ready for anything that's going to come to you, regardless of your intention or not. No, that's real. Yeah. 
Well, once again, you're listening to 98.5 WJYN, the running back sports show. If you want to call and join the discussion, the number is 215-763-9596. You got my guy, Nick Faber, calling in at 530. And, yeah, it is past 430. I think we've definitely spent more than enough on this topic of conversation. And without further ado, let's talk about the the NBA. And the NBA, less than 10 games left in the regular season overall. There is still a lot of playoff movement. The number one through fourth spot is all separated by one game. Big game for the Sixers tonight against the Milwaukee Bucks. The, the Sixers right now are currently, I believe, the two seed. And if it, and they're hosting the Milwaukee Bucks tonight. The Miami's once again back at the number one seed. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets are actually a half game out of being the ninth seed. And we still got a bunch of play-in implications. The San Antonio Spurs are only a half game out of being in a play-in game, while the Lakers are a half game out of being out of the playoffs completely. The Denver Nuggets are two games out of being in a play-in game with uh, the reigning MVP. Phoenix is officially the number one seed. They've, I believe they're one game left. They have one game left to win to tie the franchise record of all-time wins in a regular season in franchise history. Which I think was that uh, 93 Barkley team, right? Um, 63 win team, I think. They're a 62 win team. Let me double check. Uh, it was either that or the 0506 Suns. Okay. Yeah. I know y'all won 60 games, but I thought Barkley and them had the best record, yeah. but I could be wrong. I know he was scooping that year. Mm-hmm. So, um, the past game, the Sixers went to Phoenix to battle the number one seeds at the time in the East, in the East versus the West. Sixers started off pretty good, first half, pretty well. Then the wheels began to fall off, and the Suns convincingly beat the Sixers. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 Oh, oh is, there some, is there something yeah. you want to say? We've yeah. been 11-3 and three since the trade. All right. Yeah. Now, I've let you get your heart and stuff off. Don't do that, though. I mean, look. Listen. We lost to a 60-win team. Don't do that. Don't do first of all. Don't they've do that. they've, they've only don't they've do only that. lost fourteen times all don't year. Do that card. We lost to a sixty one. I team. mean, but that <laughs> listen, I understand that, but my thing is it's just this repeat it's not about it being against the sun when I lost whatever it was. It's just about the Sixers just constantly just not you know, improving on the things they need to improve on. It's just repeating the same mistakes over and over. Or just the regular season. Who cares? Blah, 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 blah. All these things people want to make a season for the Sixers. Every time they lose. Well, guys, it was just, it's just the regular season games. Well, guys, I mean, blah, blah, blah wasn't playing. But guys, but I mean this. But, but, uh, but, but, but. How about, but they get it together. Oh, real quick. It, one more win, they would tie. It would be the second time they would win 62 games all time. The 04-05 Suns went 62-20. and 20, And the Barkley-led uh, Suns that went to the NBA Finals back in 93, they were 62-20 and 20 also. Okay, oh, great. But, um... Yeah. Here you go with your mess. No, go no, no, my mess. My mess. No, my mess. Ain't no mess. This is just the fact that the fact situation was, is, are, that the Sixers, just like down the stretch, missing free throws. Going one or two, missing free throws all cut together, lack of transition defense, crying and complaining about calls, not getting back. You know, Tobias, he had a great first half. He really did. I was like, okay, Tobias. I was like, all right. I tweeted about it. You know, he was doing good. I, and like I said, I like I told Chris, Chris is like, yeah, Tobias heard the disrespect. I'm like, he deserves the disrespect at all times. Because he is he a great sucks. man, though. I got to say I know, that. That's he, fine. I mean, does he really do, deserve guy, the disrespect, or guy, does he deserve to earn less money than what he's making? He deserves the disrespect for what the situation is right now. Yes. That's, he, 
I, I mean, don't care. No, he, she, she's he, technically right. But he, I mean, he, he's I mean, getting the money right now. He's getting the money right now. He deserves the disrespect of you're not earning up. You're not living up to the money you're making. I don't care if it was a mistake or not. It's there. Now it's he might take a pay cut. He'd be my right, favorite sixer that, again. Right. Are, so, are you taking a pay cut? Who? I you. mean, I know he's not. <laughs> but listen, besides that, then Harden not being aggressive. Harden kind of like going ghost in the third and the fourth. It's just the truth. It's the truth. Where was he at? I said he was looking to pass no, first. No, I'm saying hook because you're actually right about that. I have a he's, comment about yeah, that. It's he's really looking right to pass that. first, and I like that about him, but it's like you need to kind of get going. We need to get going because we need you. That's why you're here. And then – um, Hold on. And then uh, <laughs> just Doc – with oh the, the the lineup choices and the timing of it all, even B was out for a grip. Like put him back in. What are you doing? If there's any game he should play 43 to 45 right. minutes, I he, would be real. He's it's had Embiid for so long. I'm like, yo, where is Embiid? And mind you, they did listen. They gave the Suns a run for their money. They really had kept it really close. And Maxi was great in that the, that fourth third to fourth quarter, like mm-hmm. making those clutch time threes. You know what I mean? But it's just I think the Sixers just fell apart with the free throws being missed, the lag of his defense, and then it really bothered me how they just kept complaining and looking for calls and not getting back. It's like when I understand that's the that's how it goes in the league. Mm-hmm. You 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 itch and moan. I didn't say itch and moan about calls and you argue, you want your point. But it's like as you're arguing, that call ain't changing. The plays are, the, the game is still going on. And I'm gonna take this layup when y'all then. Yeah, get back. You know, it just I'm not I, here's the thing. It's the Suns. They're the best team in the league. Yep. They're a juggernaut. With or without Chris Paul, they've been killing it. And you can't – and I give the Sixers, you know, a, I think they did good in terms of their, uh, you know, kind of keeping it close and keeping it in the game. They didn't go getting blown out, right? But I think the problem with the Sixers is they just don't take every game serious and they don't build upon, like, become having an identity. Like, we talked about them not having an identity. It's like, why do y'all not have enough pride to, like, want to just eliminate these small things that y'all could control? Like, if you do great, have the great defense and Devin Booker just makes a shot over you, that's just what it's going to be. And, of course, the refs killed us that game. The refs were, like, out of this world. I don't know what was happening, how Danny Green fouled Devin Booker twice for nothing. I didn't understand those refs. Like, I think that was just fixed in some way or form. Uh, now Scott Foster wouldn't have the Suns back. Yeah, like, that was crazy with the refs. But either way, I blame the Sixers because they let the little things, they let themselves beat them. And then the refs beat them. You know what I'm trying to say? Like the Suns and the refs beat them, but you let yourselves beat y'all, beat you guys too because you didn't do the little things. You know what I mean? It's just like the Sixers need to understand the little things that you think are nothing because it's not the playoffs because it's not this time and that time. It builds up and it matters as we go into this playoff run. And this is always our downfall, these tiny little things. Like those free throw shots, we could have been up by six at one point in the game if they would have made their free throws down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Okay. First off. Furcon Courtmaster didn't play. That's the reason why we lost. Oh my god, dude! <laughs> I'm telling you right now, <laughs> stop it. I will die on that hill. You already we was, have. We was perfectly fine during these last few games with Furcon back in the lineup. Next thing you know, <laughs> he didn't play against Phoenix. We just fell off. I mean, we did just do back to backs. We won against the Lakers and the Clippers, but you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, bench was fine. You know, then you didn't have your guy. But no, all serious now. When the trade happened. And I was at Parks Casino watching the game on the way home, and I was discussing with my friend. I'm like, do you still feel confident about this team? I'm like, slightly I do, because when Ben Simmons got traded, I'm like, cool, half the problem is gone. Because the issue is still with Doc. Here's here's why. Tobias Harris was going, ha- was going off in the second quarter. He had 15 points, five, five, five rebounds in the first half. He was getting it in. 
what makes you think that that got the biggest thing in regards to this trade after this trade was trying to figure out where Tobias Harris fits and try to get him going? Why in the second half would you not go back to him? Every single time he had he had a mismatch in the post. He, every single time he did a switch, whether it be Devin Booker or Chris Paul, he took him he took him to school down in the post. Got his little turnaround fade away. It was working. So what makes you think that okay we're gonna go away from that and just let Harden just do what he does and just be passive? That makes no sense at all. Number two, the DeAndre Jordan experiment has got to stop. It has to stop. <laughs> put Paul Millsap, put B-ball Paul, Charles Bassey. Like, like, sign you for a 10-day contract and put you at center. Like, stop it. It has to stop. I can lock down DeAndre Eaton. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'm sorry. I just no, but it. I'm sorry. It, just, it just festered a problem. It's like, you guys were up by 16. You guys were cooking them. Devin Booker had 21 points in the first half, in the first quarter, and you still found a way up to still be up convincingly all the way up to the third quarter when you had your collapse. So the thing is, is that Doc Rivers is still the problem. And like I said, us going past the first round depends on the matchup. Like I said, our best possible bet is probably Cleveland because out of everybody that's in the playoffs picture, there are only two teams I'm confident that we could possibly get out of the first round without no doubt in my mind is Cleveland because of the lack of experience in J.B. Bickerstaff and the Hornets because they don't know how to win. And I Chicago, they can't match up with uh, with Joe. Yeah, uh, I'm 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 leaning more towards Chicago now. Um, even if Lonzo gets back, I'm I don't know what happened with that team. They got injured, the injury bug, and now they lost all the chemistry that they had to start the year. And also, they can't beat any of the top teams. Yeah, and I don't think they have, they've beaten the top tier. They literally haven't. I think they're always sixteen. Oh yeah, yeah. against all. Yeah, like, they got, all got swept. They got swept against us. They can't beat Milwaukee. They can't beat Miami. Boston. Which is really a crazy fact if you think about it. Like wow, they've literally just beaten up on everybody from like five down in the rankings. They just right. beaten the crap out of them. That's their record. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. So. If we don't get any of those guys in the first round, we're going home. Like, Boston, even without Robert Williams. Well, we definitely not getting Boston in the first round. They're the one seed. No, Miami's had, no Miami's one seed right now. Did Boston lose last night? Ye- yes. They lost, yeah. Okay, okay. And Miami won. That's also wild that Boston was the one seed at one. At, at any point after being 18 and 21 in January. Yeah. But, yeah, half the problem still here. Doc is still the biggest issue because I feel like – no matter how much Joel and B magic that he can do, getting thirty to thirty-five points, if the coaching isn't right, which mm-hmm. it all starts at the top, mm-hmm. in terms of identity, in terms of installing systems, talent can only get you but so far. Even when the Miami Big Three assembled, there was still an identity, there was still a culture, there was still a structure that LeBron Wade and Bosch followed. Even when the, the rise of the Warriors, Steve Kerr established a system. He brought Draymond Green off the bench, played him over David Lee, and that's what be, and had Steph Curry playing off ball, just running screens, running off screens, and then started started shooting instead of just being an actual point guard. So there's structures that all the top teams, with even with immense talent, has to follow. The Sixers have talent, and they showed you they have a capable bench that if put in the right position, they can give you 25 points altogether uh, to combat the starting five that's putting up at least 85 to 90 points. But there's, but in the end, it's just Doc. So I think the easy thing to say is it's Doc. I think it's the most obvious thing to say. I think the biggest issue is I don't think it's the bench thing because, to be honest, yes, I do, I do think the bench could hold us back in the playoffs. 
But I'm going to tell you guys what the real issue is. And this is as James Harden apologist. He's not healthy. He can't be James Harden right now. He can't blow by guys. He, he's afraid to accelerate fully because of the hamstring. And then why do you think he's being such a facilitator? He can facilitate. Don't get me wrong. But this is not Brooklyn where you needed to feed KD on the perimeter, where you needed to feed Kyrie on the perimeter, where you need to get your shooters involved. This is a team where we went and got you because we want you to score 27 and 28 a game. If that means you average six to seven assists, awesome. But let's be real. That's why he's here. And he can't do that physically. Just think about the games. Think about the Clippers game. The only reason he was cooking is because his jumper was falling, so he could hit the step back. When was the last time you saw James Harden blow by somebody since he's been in a Sixers uniform? His hamstring still isn't where it needs to be, so he's going to play, but he's playing at less than 100% right now. And unless he's, you know, holding it or saving it for the playoffs and then going to turn it on and, like, if I tear it, I tear it. But I think he's afraid that if he goes full flesh, he'll tear that ACL and – I'm not tear the ACL, excuse me, tear the hamstring, and the season's done. Has he said that? Has he said he's still ha- being bothered by it? No, just but I think – No, I'm just asking. Oh, no, no, he hasn't brought it up. But I'm just I'm, – I'm just watching. And so here's my theory. It's either that or he's just choosing to be this passive, which is annoying. And then yeah, that speaks is. to a bigger problem. You know what I mean? So I'm hoping that it's because of this where he's like, I can't score the way I want to score, so I have to get these guys involved. It's and hard then to when tell. I can't, it really is. Because you don't know what he's really thinking or doing. Because if he's not saying it publicly, like I'm still in his pain or whatever it is, you just can't tell. Because sometimes it does look like he's a little bit off, and sometimes it looks like he's fine. So I don't know. But it is still, like you said, it's very frustrating to watch that and know that, you know, you could take it to this next level. We need you to do this. It doesn't happen. And then, you know, the things fall as they may. And then, you know, you get worried about Joel when he's flopping around. You know, it's I just like. Anytime he dies for a loose ball yeah. or anything, still to this day, I'm just like, dude, stop. I mean, I think he's in way better. He has way better strength than he's had. You know, he's, his endurance is better. But it's still concerning, like, when he was grabbing his back, when stupid Stanley Johnson, like, grabbed him, and he was, like, and his he had, like, a little spasm. I was like, oh, my God, Stanley Johnson. But anyways, <laughs> so you, Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it was just frustrating because here's the thing. When in the fourth quarter of that Suns game, when it was, like, two minutes left, I literally turned it off, and I was, like, cursing going up the steps, and my dad was looking at me like I was crazy. And I was just like, yo, the Sixers are so dumb. This is crazy. They blew this game. I was mad. Because I just felt like they had it. They were right there. And they just let the Sixers things just get in the way. And I was just mad. I was just like, wow. But I think it was a good West Coast trip. You know, they won yeah. two of the games. You know, of course, against the Lakers. But you know, whatever. The hey, Clippers. Listen, you beat a – you beat a – the NBA, you beat a dead horse. When the, when the Warriors were getting blown out two years ago, nobody was showing mercy. They were just blowing them out. Yeah. So, I don't mind that. So, like, all right. where you fit in. But it would have been nice to have that win against the Suns. You know, just going into these last stretch, like beating the Suns at home, at their home, would have been a good morale booster for the team because it's like that's the the team. That's the team to beat. Regardless of whatever conference we're in, everyone knows, like, the Suns is waiting for whoever. Whoever. So good. We'll get them back in the finals. I think Memphis is dumb enough to beat the Suns, but we'll talk about that in a second. And I literally mean dumb enough. Memphis. I think they're dumb enough. They, They not scared of nothing. Yeah, Memphis is nice, man. They're like where OKC was in 2012, but they have better structure, better coaching, and more depth. Mm-hmm. Now, they might not have more combined talent than what Harden, Russ, and, 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 and KD were at the time, but like Ja, Triple J, and then the rest of those guys, Desmond, Desmond Bain, Bain, Dylan, Dylan Brooks, like Zaire Williams, DeAnthony Melton, Stephen Adams, like they got dogs over there. But I digress. Yeah. Um, my last Sixers thing is, I do think you are right, though, Chris. This team will not win a championship until Doc Rivers is not the coach. 
Now, whether that will be if James Harden as Embiid's co-star at the time or whatever, but this team will not win a championship if Doc Rivers is the That kid. is something Doc's going anywhere. Like, especially this no, season is going to be, yeah, this season is going to be, oh, well, Harden just got to the team and we got to expand our bench. Next season, okay, so now we have, if we get who we're supposed to get in the offseason and Harden gets well, then it's like, okay, we have all the pieces, then it's just a fluke because, you know, it takes a while to get, you know, really get it together. Then he'll be back for the third season. And then it goes on and on, then Harden's like, all right, I'm done signed a five-year deal when he came? Either, I think it was five and like a opt out for like a third. Okay. Yeah. Doc is like the biggest con artist of the league. Like how, like he's just bamboozled everybody and just gotten his bread, keeps coaching. And I'm not saying obviously he's not the worst it ever was, but it's just in terms especially with our team and how we're assembled, we don't need that kind of coach. We need a coach that is number I think to me we don't know what kind of coach we need. No, I do. I know what kind of coach you need. We need a coach that's gonna hold everybody to the same standard. Who would you want? If you could pin pluck anybody you could think of um, right now, that's, that yeah. would actually be be reasonable. Honestly, Monty Williams for real. That's what I would say. Yeah. He ain't going nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Phoenix is. But I'm just saying. <laughs> if, I know what you mean, but that sort could, of coach, yes. Or, or honestly, maybe. Um, Bring Brett Brown back. Huh? What'd you Bring say? Bring Brett Brown you make a joke, but I made a whole point to Chris, and he didn't have anything to say. Did we have a system under Brett Brown? Did sure. we know where we were supposed to? No, no, don't say sure, because the only problem sure. with Brett Brown was, did Brett Brown ever have a more talented team than Doc Rivers has had since he's been in the Sixers? No. Okay, then. We had a system. It was to get the shooters open. Our defense was always what? Top five, top ten? Under every year of Brett Brown? Yeah. Even in the process years, we had a good defense? Yeah. Now we can't guard uh, anybody. I'm just saying. He developed Rocco. He developed Dario. He developed Rashawn Holmes. He developed TJ McConnell. Those are all guys who are on their second and third NBA contracts. I know, but you just can't ignore how bad the team looked under him those last two, three years. Oh, you, you mean, no, let's be honest, how bad they looked in the bubble. Let's call this spade a speed. They hadn't played no, in six I, months. I felt like they Joe looked bad got before fat. that. I didn't like the way things were going before after the bubble, personally. Well, okay, so, all right. All right, gosh, I really got to get into this. So Jimmy Butler screwed us, which is why my bromance with Jimmy Butler is very tainted. It's very toxic. As much as I love that man, he screwed over my franchise, and I don't like it. But if he doesn't leave, the entire trajectory of this team is very different. Even the Tobias signing, we made the joke like, oh, that contract is terrible. They only did that contract because you thought Jimmy was coming back, so you were running back that five. JJ, Jimmy, Tobias, Embiid, Ben. That was the entire point of that. Hold on, didn't they treat? Didn't they sign Tobias after they did the sign and trade with Jimmy? That's my, no, no. They had already no. Tobias was the first to sign. Remember, he was like, "Run it back, run it back." They didn't. They were, yeah. They wouldn't have. Come on now, I love Tobias, but I'm telling you, the Jimmy sign and trade happened after that, because then it was like, "Oh wait, oh he's going to Miami." My point being is to say is that. If Jimmy Butler's on this team, a lot of things that happen do not happen on this team. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that would have been a whole different look. It would been a whole if different look. he would have stayed, yeah. And he didn't like I wanted him to stay. I wanted him to stay. Yeah. But it's just funny because then seeing him and the whole argument, like the whole heat thing going on, like that whole thing off the bench, you, Donis Haslam. Y'all, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. yeah, of course, yeah. Be I honest, just, I love that, though. No, I think it was good because, you know, Giannis is holding him accountable. Like, who you talking to or whatever the heck he said. Like, you know, Giannis is like, said no. was, I beat you. <laughs> but Udonis is like he's just kind of like the old head that just always got to try to like like rumble. He he likes to rumble. That's the kind of, he seems like that kind of type to me. Like he likes to fight. He's a paid player coach, which is 
pretty much one of my favorite roles that exists in sports right now. He's literally getting paid NBA money to just coach these dudes. Yeah. He come in the game, get clean up rebounds, to like raise up his stats so he can be the all-time leading rebounder in like hate history or something. But pretty much <laughs> he's like he literally can't play more than like 10 minutes a night at right. this point. And it's incredible, but he's so valuable to that team. You ask the Bam Adebayo's, the Duncan Robinson, the Tyler Heroes, like these are there's his guys. And so for him to be the type of dude, I'll tell you this right now. Jimmy, if he was to do an interview, you know, in some recent times and people brought that up or asked him about it, he'd be like, that's what I want for my teammates. Hold me accountable the way I hold you accountable. The problem was in Minnesota, guys would be probably like, oh, okay, Jimmy. Or in Philly, guys would probably like, oh, okay, Jimmy. You know, it's like, who are you talking to? We he, he, there's actually, if you read his lips before that, I think he's mad about the fact the Warriors are kicking their behind. He's kind of like, but you know, says, we not your enemy. Like, he's trying to talk to him, and Jimmy's clearly in, like, I see red mode. So then Udonis jumped in that same bag with him. Okay, well, if you see red, well, guess what? I see I see red, too. So what's up? So I'm I'm cool with that energy because I think at the end of the day, it reminds me of, like, how Draymond is with his teammates. We're like, we could argue now, but we're going to be cool after the game, and we're going to talk it out, and it's going to be good. Right. So I, I, that's – that's funny. No, I, I agree with you with that, but that's what I mean, where it's like, who's the – Besides Joe, who's the who's the leader on here? And I love James, and I'm a James defender. I've defended him on the show. I've defended him for most of his career. Who's the who's the guy that's holding guys accountable on this team? Who is that? Is it Danny Green? Mm, come on. It's Doc Rivers, man. Stop it. <laughs> it's Stop Glenn. All right. I mean, Doc yeah. Rivers. I was gonna say, stop calling him. His name is Glenn. It's he hasn't Glenn. earned Doc. It's Glenn Rivers. It's Glenn right now. Okay, so. Let's just say Brett Brown doesn't want to come back. Who who then who would you replace him? Who would you replace him with? Yeah, let's But then we'd have to talk about whose assistants around the league that you know need that are that are looking to get jobs. Okay. I'd want Dan Tony. Here's the thing, all right. The only person to ever get the full fledged listen, you can roll your eyes if you want. The only person to get the full fledged prime version, excuse me, of James Harden is Mike D'Antoni, right? Hmm. You, as a Suns fan, know exactly what you're getting with Mike D'Antoni. We're not coming here to play defense. We don't have the personnel for that anymore. That's dead. Let's be real. So what are we going to do? Let's outscore everybody. Joe can protect the rim. We got. We can go get some perimeter defensive pieces in the summer, some 3 and D guys. OKC, what y'all want for Lou Dort? You know what I'm saying? So Those that's if we were to get him right now, you're saying. That's who you would want right now. To I want Mike D'Antoni. Okay, because you're saying from what the deep, how we don't have the defensive uh, personnel. So D'Antonio will be best to deal with that. Exactly, because if, if we don't have the pieces to play good defense, at this point we might as well just lean into what we got. We got a bunch of shooters. We got a bunch of scorers. D'Antonio can scheme everybody open. Yeah, I mean, but I think we could be better at defense if we just committed to defense. You, I just think we're not committed to defense. What great we're defensive not. player, but you still have to have who who's committing to defense on our team? Danny Green's kneecaps? But that's no. not what that's what I'm saying. In, as a team as a whole, like the whole mentality oh, and saying, mindset okay. behind gotcha. like, that we're not committed to defense. That's what I'm saying. So I feel like whatever coach that we have, I do I do agree with Chris. I think Doc is a big part of it. But I think them as a team, as players, no one is like, yo, like defense should be our number one thing we go after every single night. <laughs> no one's saying that. No one's no one's acting like that from what I see. Just by just what you see, just the common casual things they do, yeah. like they give up on things. They, you know what I mean? They leave their man transition, forget it, forget it, forget oh transition God. defense, yeah. just forget it. What is that? I have no idea what that is. You gotta have athletes to do that. I don't know if you know what an athlete looks like. You <laughs> know, we like, haven't had one of those in a really long time. But it's, like, like, it's just the effort. It's just the run. effort. Like just stop itching and go go back on defense. 
Stop giving up on your man. You get crossed over. Keep at it. Like, what are you doing? It just it just be blowing my mind. Like people, like, people on Twitter, you asking for a lot. I'm asking for people to be. I'm asking. I mean, for, you're, I, I mean you're asking Tobias Harris to run back on defense. Yeah. I don't think that's you're asking, asking DeAndre Jordan to run that's back the, on defense. That's the, here's the thing. But here's the thing. Let me say this: Your Phoenix Suns, the board beat champions. They care about defense. They all get back. Because we got They're, athletes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, it's it, about your effort. It's I don't care. I could be the worst athlete in the world, but I'm going to have the most effort, and I'm going to go out there and try every single game. And you'll be Tyler Hansbro. I don't care. <laughs> At least I know I did all I could do. And you know what? Great teams, they're focused on defense. No, I agree with you. That's it. I don't care about it. Dallas. They're the thing all that NBA players. They are NBA players. Yeah. Yeah, all but, of them. Yeah, but they're hold them to a, a standard. Hold them to an, like a, the same accord. Why are you giving them? Oh, they're not, they're not athletes. What does that mean? They are athletes. Okay, so what I mean by the phrase "not athletes," like all jokes aside, like what I what I what I seriously mean is we legitimately don't have the horses to play pace and space NBA defense these days. That's why our trend different defense is so bad. KD pointed out was like they can't get back on defense. It wasn't that we just think about it. If you were to line up our athletes, right from best athlete. Worst, you so, go Matisse, you go Tyrese. I can say our worst Joe, athlete, and then dropping off all the way to our worst our, athlete probably is Paul Millsap and Danny Green. Yeah, Danny Green's like, yeah, that's yeah. Jordan also. But if you think about it, I mean, you got like Milton, Corkmas, they're still young guys. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, <sighs> it's not like they're like beat down, run down. You could be Shake Mutton in the foot race right now, <laughs> right now. I'm just saying, <laughs> like, right they're not run down. Oh, listen, like the thing is, is that <laughs> as, as much as I hate giving the devil his due. Ben Simmons masked a lot of things on the oh, defensive side. Like, especially on transition defense. Six foot ten, seven two wingspan. If if it's like a two on three with him and Th- like they have the mismatch between him and Thibel running back on transition defense, you can't score on them because they oh have the length God. and the athleticism to do that. That's the thing. Like, they don't like it's either you have to do one or two things. It's like me and Jamal talked about this, like off air. It's like Either you got to do one or two things, and it's like the Sixers fall in that middle part where it's like they don't do either one of those things well. Either you got to be uber athletic, like the Toronto Raptors, or like, or like what's another athletic team? Oh, like the Cavaliers, or you got to be defensively technically sound, like, like the Miami Heat or the Milwaukee Bucks, where it's like they don't have the athletes, but it's like they know where to get in their spots. The Sixers don't; these Sixers don't have the athletes, and they don't have that. High, de- high IQ defensive guys to get in their spots. They fall in that ugly middle where it's just like I can agree. We with have that. the worst athletes. I can agree with that, but yeah. like just like just in a, just to say this, just like I love like I love Maxi. Just his his effort like in that Heat game, like when he was you would have thought he was gonna get B. He's gonna go for the um what's his name, the twin. Tyler Hero. No, the twin. Oh, Mark Mark Morris. Martin Martin. Oh, Caleb, Caleb Martin. Martin. Yes. yes. He was going for the layup, and Maxi just kept at it and went and got the little block at the end. You know what I mean? It's just those little things that I think just it just says a lot about Maxi. And of course, obviously, he's super young and he's new, yeah. whatever. But I just think but that he's also a dog too. So you know, but that right. but it's his mindset. It's his effort of like not giving up, going after. You know what I mean? Like just giving effort on the play, not just giving it up. Like okay, well I'm beat. We nah. have lazy old players. On but, but I understand that. But I'm just saying that should not be like. Well, I mean, they're just old and lazy. Like I just think we got to just like, want back. Like we had to hold them to a higher account. No, I That's agree. How I, feel. I I 100. All right. So for example, right. Yes, I agree with you. But it's like saying, oh, the Lakers just need to do this better. Like, if they would, they, if they could, they would. So I think it's the same thing with us. That's why I brought up the Brett Brown example of, no, the thing about Brett Brown is, yes, we didn't have enough scoring talent to beat top in NBA teams in that iteration of the Sixers. 
But our calling card was the defense at that time. You know what I mean? So, and we also had young athletic guys. You had Holmes off the bench. You had Roko. You had Dario. You had, you had TJ. Grant. You had Ben. You had Henry. You had young guys who could execute a defensive scheme. Dallas right now is balling. Why? You got Dorian Finney-Smith. You got Jalen Brunson. You got Dwight Powell to protect the rim. You got um, when Tim Hardaway comes back, another athletic guy. Now, Tim Hardaway's not known for defense, but in, within this scheme, he can get those guys to play. And I think it goes the same thing. He's just running Frank. Jason Kidd is just running Frank Vogel's defensive scheme in Dallas. It's literally all he's doing. And then on offense, he's like, hey, Luca, I used to do this too. I got you. I'll design this offense. Don't even worry about it. My point is, is that I don't know what Doc's strategy is with this team. I don't know what we do every night, defensively or offensively. Can you tell me? I'm sure you, like I said, I know you've been watching basketball as long as we have. What's our strategy? What, do, what is our call? Are we pacing space? Are we a post-heavy centric team? Are we what are we? Grit and grind. Grit and grind. What are we? I don't know. Yeah. It just changes every game. It changes every game. Yeah. And I think that's always Doc style. Like, think about it like this, right? What was the Clippers scheme? What was their system? Like, Lob City Clippers. What was their system? Tell me. It was Chris Paul pick and roll. Yep. Chris Paul pick and roll. DeAndre yeah, Jordan Lob. Right. Break Griffin lob, swing the Matt Barnes, swing the JJ. But the thing with Doc, with doing that is, I think as you said, it kind of changes with every team. That leaves us vulnerable for when the team is oh, so they're just going off what we what we're giving them. They change it up, and we can't adjust because Doc can't adjust. Brooklyn did that to us. That's why that's been our worst blowout since we've had that. And team. that sucks. It really does I suck. Mean, Boston, Boston was bad too. Well, that's because well, that was, but we didn't have our team yet. We didn't have James yet, and we were still missing pieces, whatever. But the reason I bring that okay, so let me let me just say let me put this point out there. Okay. So what do we think is Bo- so obviously Boston had that with the season they had at the beginning of the season they were mm-hmm. doing bad they were, everyone thought they were gonna tank and you know Boston's washed blah 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 and then the last like you know thirty games or so they've just kind of like emerged as like this defensive minded like Boston Celtics with the the guns of Tatum and Brown right mm-hmm. so what do you think was their main flip of the switch in terms of their defense that has brought them from tanking to now being elite well, what changed so Ime Udoka came in and tried to. Um, install a new defensive system different from Brad Stevens' old system. So it just took them the time to adjust. Robert Williams has been playing out of his flipping mind. He might be, like, third in defensive player of the year right now. And then once every Marcus Smart, also Marcus Smart getting healthy help them. And mm-hmm. then the young guys, Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Neesmith. But what is Grant their Williams. what is their defensive? Like, w- w- every game, what defense do you know you're going to get from the Celtics? You're going to get heavy switching. Um, you're going to get good rim protection from Robert Williams, and you're going to get high-level defensive effort. But you want to know what they have that we don't? Athletes. Young athletes who can execute a defense. Tatum, Brown, Smart, Williams, Grant Williams, uh, 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 Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, even though he's undersized. They have young athletic guys. Romeo Langford. They have young athletic guys who can uh, who can execute the defense. Derek White, yeah. who was a coach Popovich taught young boy, who knows Ime Udoka's system. Why do you think they were like, all right, Josh Richardson, Super you're trash. Super underrated trade deadline move. You're trash. Let's get Derek White in here. He knows the system, and he's a better scorer than yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, he boom. is. And not to mention, when the playoffs start, in more half-court you know, offensive, defensive sets, you got Al Horford in the tuck. And did, don't even forget, Al Horford's out here looking like 2016 Al Horford. He put that Celtic uniform and was like, ah, I forgot. I, this is how you play basketball. But it also begs the question that was it ever his fault on what he looked like with the Sixers? Or was it just us as Sixers fans? We wanted to blame him for being in a terrible system that made no sense at the time. And I wouldn't say terrible system. I would just say y'all rebuilt this team for Brett to be a defensive identity, even though he got the best defensively out of the guys that he needed to get to for all that time, right? Mm-hmm. And then y'all were like, we're going to double down. 
We lost Jimmy. Crap, what are we going to do? Let's give Al Horford $140 million and bring in Josh Richardson and just be a defensive team. Ooh, ooh. And we were all mm. like, you know what? Mm. That don't sound too bad. And then there were games. There were, let's, not, let's also be real. There were nights where it looked great. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not even lie. There were nights where that 19-20 team. That Christmas had, game against the Bucks. Like, there were nights where the, the, the game against the Heat where Josh Richardson went off. Like, there yeah. were nights where we looked exactly what that team was supposed to be. We just couldn't consistently score or shoot the ball. So, now you have this iteration of the Sixers that can kind of score, can really score, honestly, when Joe and, 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 uh, and James are both going. And then if you get Reese going, like, we can score with the rest of them. But we have zero defensive identity. Mm-hmm. Zero. It's always one thing or the other. We never can just have the full thing. It's always we're missing this. We ain't got that. Now we have this. We don't have that. It just sucks. It's just really just frustrating as a Sixers fan. And I'm sure all Sixers fans feel this way. It's just always we're right there, but just not there yet. It yeah. just is like, when, what, what is it going to take for us to get to that level? I just think, to me, as a Sixers organization, I think that they need to start pulling the trigger when they feel like when it's time to pull that trigger, pull the trigger. Stop holding back. Stop. Just like, you know, with with the Heat, with the Celtics, they make decisions. Like, yo, Josh Richardson is not working. What they do, bring another bull. You know I'm, what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, but 80, 85% of the league has that issue as well. Like, no, nah, I think some teams are better than that than others. I think Sixers, we're never good at just pulling the trigger when we need to. But see, here's what I have to remember. Like, and this is what you got to think about. Like, the last time we were good from an organizational standpoint was Pat Croce. We were all kids. You know what I mean? Like, and then you had Billy King take over after that, and we don't want to talk about that. <sighs> oh, my gosh. Um, so, oh, fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yo, by the way, fun fact. The way you said, the oh, Iverson my gosh. Trade was, the Iverson trade that draft pick we got ended up to being Thaddeus Young. I rest my case. <laughs> um so Lord. you just the two teams you just named. Oh yeah, I, I don't know if Chris ever told you I hate that is young with the passion. I think. Oh yeah. He's, yeah, he's like the most. He's on the Bulls av- now. He's, he's the most annoyingly average basketball player ever, and the fact that he still exists in the NBA bothers he's on me. Some Bulls, baby. You know what? Listen, would you rather have him or DeAndre Jordan? Right now? Yeah. Give me DJ. Um. So <laughs> the this, you can't even say that. The crazy. two teams that you named, I think, exactly speak to what we're talking about. And then we had this discussion on the show a couple weeks ago. Where we were talking about where it's like. We don't have any organizational identity. We're just kind of like, mm-hmm. it's almost like you buy an LLC, right? And you just start a business and you're like, I could run a restaurant. I could do this. And you don't really know what you're doing. You just keep buying things and keep doing different things, thinking it's going to work and nothing's being successful. And you're seeing other people run a business because they have infrastructure. They have people there who know what they're doing. They have people there who don't miss on their scouting reports. They know what their identity mm-hmm. is. They know what they're looking mm-hmm. for. So Boston for the last 20 years has been run by Danny Age. When Danny Age retired, I'm going to naturally pass it off to Brad Stevens, who was like, okay, I can coach this team, but now I can do even more because I know how this front office works because of how close Danny and I have worked. So now I'm keeping the same mindset and philosophy in the system. Then we bring in a coach who just was on a system for another 15 years as a player and as an assistant. So he comes from structure. He comes from understanding and installing great defense, understanding and installing competent offensive plays. Boom, bang, Boston set. Miami. From the time that they hired Pat Riley in 95, and he became team, he was the coach first and then became team president. Mm-hmm. They have, their entire system has been based on him. You know, we've always talked about acknowledging heat culture, but you know how the body, the body fat requirements and, and, and your cardio requirements and your weightlifting requirements. And if you don't make the requirements, you don't play no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're great. And Eric Spolstra has been in that system that entire time, worked his way up. Worked his way through the ranks. Guess what? 
Stan Van Gundy is probably the most Pat Riley like coach that you could think of. A guy who's going to be a hard behind, get on guys, whatever. He wasn't meshing. He wasn't getting what he needed to get off the team. Guess what Pat Riley did? You got to go, bro. I'll coach. Coach him to a title. You know what I mean? So he understands, and that system is understood. By the way, random side note have y'all been watching Winning Time? Oh, man. You got HBO Max? You got to watch Winning Time. Great. Um, Adrian Brody plays Pat Riley. It's incredible. Uh, but that was a quick side note. Sorry. But, yeah, so for me, the Heat, like, and Boston are two perfect examples of a system. Like, even Mark Cuban in Dallas, right? You're like, what's their system? Rick Carlisle was their coach for 10 years. Dirk was their best player during that entire time period, even when his body was starting to break down. You had Luka come in and pass that torch. What did Mark Cuban realize? Okay, this Luka-Rick Carlisle thing is not working. Rick Carlisle kind of realized the truth. Maybe. He was like, and Mark Barry Cuban wasn't crying over it. He said, okay, I have to get someone in here who understands what to do and how to use my best player. Jason Kidd. Who better than a guy who's ran teams to the finals? Who better than a guy who now he's like, and Jason Kidd to me coaches like, how we play 2K, like, living vicariously through his player. Mm -hmm. So, in his mind, he's like, you're me, but you can score. Oh, easy. Mm -hmm. I got this. Once he got the defensive guys he needed, once you get a, you know, once you get the guys in place and he has his rotation in place, and then once, going to get Spencer Dinwiddie, also super underrated deadline deal. I think Derek White and Dinwiddie were the two most underrated deadline deals. Now you have another ball handler to take the ball out of Lucas' hands and a guy who they're like, wait, y'all want me to take shots? Oh, wait, y'all want me to have that confidence? Bet, say no more. That's why they're my pick to come out the West because I think with Luka reaching this almost prime, like right where LeBron was like in 2010 and right where like Giannis was in like 2018 where it's like, oh, I'm one of these dudes. I also think he has a great coach around him and I think he has a great culture around him and I think they'll have a chance to come out. But I think it's the same reason of why I have zero confidence, not zero confidence in the Sixers going to a championship this year, <laughs> but like 12% confidence in us going to a championship this year. We have no culture. So you're telling me there's a chance. Our chance is Ben Simmons doesn't play for I, Brooklyn. He's not. He's not. Um, we avoid Boston somehow. Yes, yeah, the matchups. If we can get like Cleveland and then maybe um, Chicago. Yeah, if we can get like Cleveland and yeah. Chicago first, first round, and second, second round, and then only have to deal with one of either Boston or Brooklyn, or let Boston and Brooklyn beat the crap out of each other. Because I think Brooklyn's gonna beat Miami in an eight-one match. I'm like, you know, right now. Yeah. The way Miami's been playing recently, the way KD not. KD not going to be intimidated by none of that Jimmy stuff. He don't care nothing about that. I'm about to give y'all this 32 a game. But I will say this, though. They fall to their ninth seed, in, and they got to play Trey Young, you know, do or die in Brooklyn. Ooh. That's. Playoff Trey Young is different. Also, realize, Trey Young leads the league in total scoring and total assists. Yep. Yep. He ain't going down without a fight. <laughs> oh, no. He's going he's gonna to play his behind off. Yeah. Nobody wants to see that. To be honest, are they, aren't they the AFC right now? Who? Uh, 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 the Hawks are the eighth seed, right? Yeah, the who's no. the seventh seed right now? Is it Charlotte? No, uh, Brooklyn right now. They're the eighth seed. The ninth to seed is Hornets. Toronto. And the Hawks are the tenth seed. Yeah, the the Raptors are the sixth seed. They took over, so Cleveland seven now. Yes. Yeah, aren't we three right now? No, we're two. Oh God. Oh, but tonight is the battle for two and three, right? Yes. So how you feel about the game tonight Sixers against Milwaukee? Play yeah, yeah, we play Milwaukee, Milwaukee here. Oh, we do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought it was tomorrow. It's nah. tonight? Mm -hmm. I thought it was tomorrow. Too, oh, wow. So. Okay. Oh. Oh. Depends on what kind of James Harden we get. Yeah. Very depends on what kind of James Harden. No, but it's like the the issue that you bring up with culture is right. Like, also, Toronto, like, their identity with Maja Giri, like, over the past 10 years was Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, and a bunch of athletes. 
They realized Wayne Casey, even though he won coach of the year, just wasn't cutting it because he got swept by LeBron. You know what Masaguri did? He what? he he hired in-house, got his G League coach, Nick Nurse, to come in. They make that gamble trade for Kawhi Leonard for even though it was a one-year rental, and it turned out to be totally worth it. And now, even though they still don't have the same team that was Kawhi Leonard, they still rebranded over the last two years, and they're still a team that you don't want to play in the first round. Like like you said, you can go Red Van Fleet, and the rest of your four guys are six foot eight and up, and it still executes well. Yeah, yeah. Van Fleet, he has he 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 don't he don't look down on, the, on them or himself. You seen him on the podcast? He was like, yeah, I mean, I think we had a better squad than y'all. Talking about the Warriors, I think. Yeah. Um, in that that final series, like, yeah, I think we had a better squad. I'm looking at him like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you ain't. I mean, I will huh? say, I'll say this, right? What? If the Raptors spend money right this offseason, they'll be one of the top five teams in the East next year. Just off development. Scotty's going to be older. Pascal's I mean, they're already. Prime. I mean, they're tied. For, I mean, they're already six, and they're only like a half game out of the fifth spot. And they haven't had nobody. Like, Van Fleet got hurt. Yeah. Yeah, and they've been dealing with injuries. And yeah. you got to think, last year, COVID killed them. That's the only COVID reason. COVID murdered them. That's the only reason they didn't make. Did, no, they didn't make. No, they didn't make. The no, playoffs. they didn't. Made the playoffs in the bubble and got destroyed yeah. by the Nets. No, they yeah. no, 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 no. They beat the Nets and then they took uh, Boston to seven games. Seven games, yeah. That was a great series. It's yeah. about these Grizzlies, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we no, but real quick, yeah. All right, but real quick before that, after doing all of that, you know, learning structure, honestly, because there's really not a lot of coaches out there that I really like, but I'm willing to take a gamble to do in house. I want. I, I, I'm willing to get Sam Cassell, you know, his first run as an NBA coach here. I've been thinking about that for a little while, too. Yeah, cause, I wouldn't mind seeing him. So. Yeah, because he already has a rapport with Tyrese Maxey. And not to mention, he was on those 90s uh, Houston Rockets team, so he already knows, he already sees firsthand what it likes to be in the building with an all-time generational talent at the center position. You know who could be our coach? Who? Ty Lue. Don't uh, no, no, mind. Like everybody said, I was crazy for wanting him to <laughs> for wanting him to begin with. But yeah, honestly, like him, like if we do get rid of Doc, like give Sam Cassell a chance because my pipe dream is Dawn Staley. Uh, but I'm don't wish, I don't want to wish that on her. That would be fire if we got Dawn Staley. Oh my god, coach. she would be Bro. like, y'all not doing what I'm asking y'all to do. Play basketball. That's it. It's simple. I'm coming in with a Dawn Staley jersey to the first Sixers game. If we Dawn Staley. Like, Dawn Staley. Yo, oh, my the God. The Charlotte Sting? I need a Charlotte Sting jersey. What you know about the Charlotte Sting, man? Yo. I just, listen. <laughs> I'm just, like, getting peeped on game with Dawn Staley the last, like, two years. I'm just like, yo, Oh, yeah, she's she got amazing. the Gamecocks out here. Bubba Seriously. Balling. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> mm. They're going to get smacked by Paige and them, but it's okay. I'm sorry, what? What? They're going to get smacked by Paige and them. That's funny. I, I beg your pardon? That's funny. Paige Buker's the best player in college. Oh, let, oh let's let's no, let's 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 slow it down here. Let's what you about here. to say, Caitlin let's Clark? Because it's not. No, oh, no, hell no. no. I'm, ta- like, I'm talking about Aaliyah Boston. The she best what? Pla- the best player. Who? In the NCAAW, yes. Who? Aaliyah Boston. You say you Paige Buker's. You, you're pronouncing Paige Buker's wrong. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Listen, man. Aaliyah Boston is a better player. It's just she's not a she's Who not a guard. Man? She's not a guard. They're in different positions anyway. You can't compare. But either way. I don't think we that do Paige. That all time in every league. I don't care. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that, if, like, if you in terms of what they do. I mean, UConn didn't even win last year, so. <laughs> Are you really about to slander UConn? No. She's just a high. Oh no, I'm a, not slandering UConn. I'm just she, saying it's not absolute. They're the greatest a, college dynasty since UCLA. She's a straight bucket, and I'm not denying that. She's great, but besides that, what else does she bring into the team? Oh wow, that's all. This game is about being a bucket. Enrique Nguale, a bucket. 
That's not what it's like, all about. But where, but where is Tia Cooper and the Sparks? Aja Wilson, a bucket. Like, stop playing. And they lost. And they, and they lost. Elena Deladon is a bucket, also and a champion. And they lost, because you know Candace why? Parker, you got to focus on defense. Oh, Brianna Stewart, a bucket. That's the bucket. Fu- that's, that's, fine. that's the best player in the I'm league right now. I'm not saying that Paige Brookers ain't a bucket, but I'm just saying that Leah Boston is a better overall player. She's the better player in the – she's the she's the player of the year. Period. Oh, yeah, by the Period. way, I remember you said Tarasi was the GOAT a couple weeks ago. I had some time to think about it. Who's really, truly the GOAT? So who do you think is the GOAT? Sue Bird is the GOAT. It's not even a question. Well, she's the assist GOAT, for sure. No, no, she's the GOAT. She's the GOAT captain. Okay. It's not even a question. Well, that can be debatable. I like Sue Bird, too. I like, I like them you both. You got to throw Tina Thompson in there, Cheryl Swoops. So that whole comment squad was ridiculous, first Man, of all. let's just listen. Let's just talk about the craziness of this March Madness tournament and how it's all gone down. Oh, yeah, Obviously, we have not talked about this at all. So just to, just to touch on the men's for a hot second. Her for a hot second. Um, Duke and UNC will be going against each other the first the time ever, first time. ever in the history of the rivalry. How much of are those the, tickets going to cost? It's going to be I – mean, I know it's going to go I, like – I mean, dude, remember $1,000. That's going to be the say, minimum. I mean, dude, remember the Zion uh, North – Design game where like he blew his shoe out and people were paying three hundred fifty for a ticket there, yeah, probably twice that. No, for real, like, and I think it's crazy they've never gone against each other on a final four. This Which is the is first crazy. time ever, and it's gonna be good because it's Coach K's last final four, final four last you know NCAA run. So it's it's a big game. And mind you, too, it's a revenge game too because Duke got blown out on Coach K's final game mm-hmm. at the clubhouse. So it's gonna be definitely like a high emotion, crazy game. That game's gonna be crazy. That's one. And then you got Nova taking on Kansas. Obviously, I think we're all probably rooting for Villanova in that game. That they're the, the, Philly, the Philly team. No? Oh, yeah. No? You're not rooting for Villanova the, in that game? Uh, they're, not, so they're not from Philly. They're not, they're not a Philly team. By but default, yes, I'm rooting for Villanova. They're associated with our area. <laughs> but I also really like Kansas because Joe went to Kansas. And also okay, the Morris brothers went to Kansas too. The Morris they, brothers, you funny. Ain't nobody worried about the Morris brothers. I'm whoa, not. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is You wildin'. What? I'm all about Philly hoops. Deion Waiters, the Morris brothers, like. Waiters. Don't don't talk about Philly Chiefs. No, no, I like them. I respect them all. I respect them all. I respect them all. That's crazy. But I've been like, I respect them all. They're all Philly Hoopers. But you know the Morris fans always insist in the league. You know they always got some ish going on. Listen, typical Philly dudes, they with the smoke. I mean, what do you want from them? Yeah. They, listen, <laughs> like, you, you got to give them credit because, honestly, Marcus Morris is a problem. He is. He is. He is. He is. He actually can ball. Now, Marky, he be all right. Yeah. But Marcus be actually. <laughs> that was me. Sorry. And Marquee, please don't be, and please got don't the ring, though. Marquee got the <laughs> ring, though. That's a crazy thing. I, dang, he do got the He got yeah, the ring man. with the Lakers. <laughs> I forgot about that because yep. that bubble ring didn't count. I mean, okay, so, yeah, so. Final Four for Men's is going to be interesting matchups. Let's talk about the, this, women's final four. the Elite Eight and Final Four for the women. So this Elite Eight game against UConn, NC State, UK, State yeah. that's the first double overtime ever in Elite Eight women's history. So uh, that's crazy. So you're saying Gino coached his girls up, huh? Oh, no. All I'm saying is, is oh, that okay. that was a that's great crazy. game. NC State fought, like, to the end. They would have just had a couple of baskets go in and been a little better on the defense. You know, it, they could have they could have won too. Like it was that close. It wasn't like UConn was you know blowing them out. And apparently, and before regulation ended, NC State kind of like had it and kind of just let it go. So it was a great game. It was like definitely like an instant classic kind of game. Oh, like yeah. that three in the corner by the lefty. What's her name? Turner or something? I forget mm-hmm. her name. The one in the, the yeah. Right. First of all, her arc on that shot was that was gorgeous. crazy. 
And she's Gorgeous a lefty. Over the hand. Like exactly. just that was a perfect shot. It was like point eight seconds. I didn't think it was going. Out. I was like, oh, I was like, you kind of. Because it was this. the one because they got, had the side inbounds near the announce table, yeah. right? And then she she hit her hit the uh, point guard at the top of the can. She swung it into the corner and yeah. catch and release ain't the word. That was crazy. <laughs> and then double O in the second overtime, Paige took over. And, you oh, know, did she? Yeah, That's she did. crazy. I like Paige. <laughs> I really do like Paige, but I just can't say she's the player of the year. I just won't say that. I, I mean, I can't. it's okay. You won't have to. The Gatorade will. Okay, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But anyways, and then so now we got the final, final four, which is going to be Stanford versus UConn and mm-hmm. then um, Louisville versus, versus South, South Carolina. Carolina. Shout out Dawn. Shout out Dawn Staley. Got her team in the final four again. Consecutive times in the final four with Dawn Staley. Kudos to Dawn. Philly native. You don't know Google You already know. She's about to get this. Google Say it again, Carl. Do your Googles on Dawn Staley and stop playing. Do your Googles. Okay, seriously. Wait, when you was a kid, did y'all used to think Dawn Staley and Do Staley was related? I mean, honestly, like, when I heard her name, I was like, are they related? Honestly, real talk, like, where is that last name coming from? Like, Staley? Like, where? Like, what? So, but I want to just talk about, real quickly, like, so for this UConn, I mean, sorry, the South Carolina and this Louisville game, I watched that that Louisville game against uh, Michigan. Let me just say this. Nas Hillman is a great player, but she just does not have – she didn't have the offensive weapons around her. Like, Louisville played great defense, but them girls just couldn't get a bucket. Like, when they needed it, Michigan just could not produce. And I felt bad because Nas Hillman was really trying to give it – she was giving it her all. And I think the other girls were too, but they didn't have that talent. So that's that. And then Louisville, that Van Leith girl, apparently Kobe Bryant saw her play and wanted her to come down for, like, a workout, like a training session with him. And, like, I see why. Oh, Haley, Haley Van Lee? Yeah. Oh, Haley that Van Lee's girl, a monster. That girl got, like, a killer she's a instinct. Monster. Like, she's, she's a, she's a killer. I like about her is that it's what every team needs. Someone who's not afraid to just go get it and is effective. You know exactly. what I mean? Go get a bucket. Yeah, just go get it because your team needs it. Like, when Michigan was down, it was like they were trying to pull back and do their sets. I'm like, yo, y'all are down and y'all got, like, 40 seconds. You're in time to run a set. Go get fouled and go to the line. You know what I mean? So, um, I think with that Louisville game, it's going to be interesting because they have a lot of shooters. They have, you know, the Haley girl, but I think South Carolina, the thing about South Carolina is they are just so big from like from three to five. They're just huge. Even the bench that comes in from three to five is huge. They're all six, three and up from three to five, right? Yeah. I think at least six, one and up six, one and up. That's stupid. They're crazy. And honestly, the only, the weakness that I see is their guard play, but I think destiny has been playing really well as of late. But my only real concern is, um, Zaya Cook. That's my own because I think with her, she can kind of be real streaky. And when she she can kind of be about her a little bit, like trying to get her basket, she's not kind of making the right decisions in those big moments sometimes. So that's my concern. But I think that if South Carolina can shut down Louisville, on the other end, they're just too big, and I think they're just going to dominate. Yeah. I mean, Louisville got they got some girls too. Like they got the center girl from Syracuse, that's yeah, from New York, transfer, mm-hmm. the transfer girl, and then they got the her name's Olivia. Um, begins with a O. I forget. I forget how to say it. But she was she did well against Michigan. So they got two girls that are big. But like I said, South Carolina got three and five humongous. Huge. So Huge front line. I just think if South Carolina can lock them down, like lock Haley down, lock them down, I don't think Louisville can counteract I think it's going to be that. South Carolina UConn. Yeah. I think that's going to be the championship game. I hope which, so. Which is going to be an awesome matchup. Dawn Staley, black woman coach against Gina Ariema, you know, a lot of people. A lot of people, as much as they love UConn, don't like the fact that the most successful coach in college, is women's college basketball, is a white man at that. Right. So it's like. But what about his, Stanford? His, what do you but, think about Stanford? Cameron Brink and then um, Anna Wilson and uh, what's the other one's name? Um, I'm, I, the, UConn and I get it. They didn't win last year. 
UConn's a well machine, man. But they're, they're the Yankees. They're, they're the Lakers. They're they are, big. Just went down though. That girl, she just got hurt. Her she. But like, I think Paige is going to step up. You think so? I think she's going to step up. I expect at least twenty five from Paige. Because UConn got bigs too. You know what I mean? But that yes. that one girl, she was kind of dominating for them. But I don't know. Um, Sanford got the size, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Speaking, like Cameron Brink is a problem. Speaking of women's basketball, I've been really following a player recently, Ashton Watkins. Who's been doing in-game dunks and and oh she so did was you in see the competition the, did you right? see the McDonald's All American yeah, dunk yeah, contest? Yeah, she was the other like day? she dunked. Honestly, like no, twice. she didn't. Oh no, you did. Right? You gotta is watch. Her? She dunked in-game twice, but did you see the McDonald's All American Jam Fest? They Maybe. do like a dunk contest for the high school players or whatever, and she won the dunk contest. Oh yeah. Oh, and the girls were going crazy. Like they coming on the court. They she was catching the oops. Like it was for real? awesome. Yes, she caught the oops. So dude threw it off the backboard, and she went up and got it. One hand slammed it down. She did another reverse. She went up left off both feet. Like yo, she was killing it. Oh, crap. And I think she's I think she's committed to South Carolina too. Funny no, enough. she is. She, she is. is committed. Yeah, to yeah, okay. yeah. Yo, I'm hype. Yo, that is amazing. Like literally, I'm like a South Carolina. I can't fan. wait because it's gonna be great. Because it's like yeah, seeing Brittany Duncan game or seeing like Lisa Duncan game is like all right, dude, you're six eight six nine. Like so, it makes sense that you be. A, but I think Ashlyn is like six three, and yeah. she's coming like she's coming on the break ah, by herself like skying. Oh, I'm wow. just like. So for me, it's like, um, you know, and knowing high level women's athletes, it is really terrible to see that, like, after high school and collegiate, it's so hard for them to pursue their dreams at any point past that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know as men, we play our own part in this, whether you're a man that subconsciously does it or consciously does it. We all play our part in it. I don't watch as many WMA games as I should. You know what I mean? I know the average. Now, hoopers, hoopers, like ballplayers. They don't feel that way, which is funny because I think most women who don't pay attention to sports would think that the men who are perpetuating this the most are the other NBA players. But they're the biggest advocates for WNBA. They're the ones rocking WNBA jerseys. They're the ones you'll catch at a WNBA game when they got a night off. You know what I mean? But I think something that we don't talk about, and I wanted to ask your opinion on this, Carm, because as someone who plays sports and someone who's truly into sports, how much responsibility do you think that the casual woman should have to take for where women's sports placement is. Do you get what I mean when I say that? What do you say? Like say So, like, all right, if the average woman is turning on a TV, right, mm -hmm. she's scrolling through channels, does she stop to watch the WNBA game? Okay, I see what you're saying. Um, And how much does that really play in this? Because I feel like a lot of times when you hear these issues, it's it feels like it's directed at men. Like, it feels like because inherently you see what men's sports receives, whether it's on the collegiate level, whether it's on the pro level. Like, even the, the crap with the uh, the Liberty where they got mad because they chartered a flight or something like that. Yeah. Like, just, and it just, um, my, my, my homie and I were talking about it the other day, and it was like, I feel like we don't hold casual women sports fans accountable for what they're into. It's like, as me being a wrestling fan, I'm not mad that, wrestling isn't as hugely mainstream casual anymore because I'm into it. I know I do my part. I just feel like when it comes down to it, when the hoopers who exist in these spaces or whether it's women's U.S. soccer or whether it's uh, 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 the WMLS or any or, or, or any of these different leagues that, have, that are trying to get their foot off the ground and trying to get more. 98.5 WJYN. Hey, this is Nick. Oh, hey, Nick. How's it going, man? Good. What's up? Hey, uh, once again, we are, we're at 5.30. We're going to uh, have a little um, interview with uh, Nick Faber with the uh, the uh, co-host of the Honolulu Blues podcast, Detroit Lions. So we're going to talk a little bit about Detroit Lions and the uh, current NFL draft. First off, man, how you been? Oh, man. 
Living the dream. Spring's coming around. We get some uh, warmer weather peeking through, so, uh, you know, it seems to be brighter and more exciting. Got the draft comes up, too. Golly. It's awesome. Yeah. So, first off, I just want to ask you, um, if you had to grade the Detroit Lions all season so far, what grade would you give it? <laughs> I mean, we've flown under the radar. DJ Shark was a great signing. Um, made a couple, like, smaller picks. Uh, we've re-signed Jared Davis, which I'm not going to talk too much about, I, I hope at least. Uh, Mike Hughes from the Chiefs, cornerback. And then we just re-signed a lot of guys. We're building. We're building something special here. Overall, the grade I would give it is a is a fair B, B-. minus. No big splashes that I, I – there was a couple guys I really wanted, Marcus Williams. Um, but, you know, we got DJ Shark, and I like him a lot. So, um, you know, going into, you know, you, you know, the second year, how do you feel about, you know, Jared Goff potentially being your starting quarterback for the uh, second year in uh, Dan Campbell's system? Not great. Not great. I, I have more comfortability in the second year that with Dan Campbell, hopefully he's still managing the plays over Ben Johnson, who's under the, the new offensive coordinator. And when Campbell started taking over plays, Goff, you know, quote-unquote played better, but I don't think he played any better. I think realistically he was just put in a better situation for him to succeed. Campbell knew how to run that offense. He knew what he wanted to do. On third and ten, we didn't pass often once Campbell started. It was a lot of draw plays on third and four, five, six, ten, fifteen, twenty. Still just draw. Like, it didn't matter. There was almost no trust in golf, and I think that's going to remain this year. I think we can win with that. I don't think that's going to make us, you know, this irrelevant team, I think we're going to win a lot more games than everyone's believing, at least in my opinion. But I'm on the board of getting Malik Willis. I, I have more faith that even in year one, and I understand if we get Malik Willis, let him sit behind golf for a year. Even if that didn't happen, Malik Willis started year one. He would give us more opportunities to win games or at least be more competitive in games uh, than Jared Goff would. So, so I'm not a believer in Jared Goff at all, but if, if Brad Holmes is going to ride it out, hell, so am I. Let's bring it on. Yes, thank you. Like, I was talking about my co-host last week. I'm like, number two overall pick. Like, if like if Malik, Kyle Hamilton. <laughs> like, we were going back and forth. Like, I, I said... I said right. I said go Malik Willis and then with the thirty second pick go for best player available. Uh, my co host says, Oh, what about uh, Kyle Hamilton and then like Desmond Ritter? Oh my Lanta, what are we talking about? It may be put like uh, I am not down with either of them. First off, Kyle Hamilton won't even be drafted in the top ten. Mark my words right now. He's what? just not gonna be a top ten and, and maybe should be. Um, all my mocks right now I have him going actually eleven Washington. That's that's where he's going to end up going, in my opinion. I I cannot fathom drafting him at the number two, especially after we drafted Jeff Okuda. And not even with just that, you draft Kyle Hamilton at the second pick overall, he instantly becomes, I believe, the 31st highest-paid safety in the entire NFL, just due to the slot that he is drafted at. I am not going to pay someone 31st top safety material before he ever steps on the field. And maybe he is a top, you know, 20 safety in the NFL, his rookie year. That would be awesome. Maybe it goes down as a Lions blunder. But honestly, I'll take my chances with Malik Willis. There isn't, if Aiden Hutchinson goes one, there isn't anyone at two that screams, draft me too. Like Trayvon Walker is now getting into the mix, right? Kayvon Thibodeau was that guy, but he's dropping. Kyle had soft Gardner starting to get up there, 
Like, there, there's Evan Neal. Like, we don't even need an offensive tackle, and yet people are still trying to write articles about how the Lions need to draft offensive tackle, too. There's so many question marks up there. I'm going to take the question mark with the, with the highest chance of war, you know, wins against run, basically, forever the NFL is. Give me Malik Willis. He could potentially be a beast. <laughs> uh, well, sounds like my co-host uh, <laughs> It just doesn't have any questions <laughs> about that. Yeah, wow. Okay. Well, um, if you want to waste the second overall pick on a guy who hasn't proved anything against any actual competition, <laughs> then like my team right. did seven years ago, then go right on ahead. It's this guy named Carson yeah. Wentz, who he drafted from a mid-major, who had a lot of tools, and then turned out to suck in the league because of his mentality. So maybe Malik Willis will not do that. But I'm a big proponent yeah. of take the best player available which at that point would be a Kyle Hamilton. Or you could take, like you said, Thibodeau, or anything else besides drafting a quarterback when you just traded for Jared Goff and he's giving you this large cap hit. It doesn't make any necessary sense to make to waste on a quarterback where a draft where the next year, like, let's be honest, worst case scenario, you're not firing Dan Campbell. That team plays hard for him. They love Those guys love him. He is a real coach. I will say this. If you go into this year with Jared Goff, Worst case scenario, you win three games again, you're in the top five. You got a shot at Bryce Young. You got a shot at uh, a, a Rattler. You got a shot at a bunch of different guys who are coming out next year who probably are going to be better than this crop of guys. I'm saying that the problem that a lot of people have at the top of the draft is you get to the top of the draft and you get this moment you're like, we got to take a guy. Remember what the Dolphins did with Tua? We have to take a guy. And now they're in a situation where they have one of the best built rosters in the league and no real quarterback. I'm sorry, that makes zero sense. And whether you want to make right. fun of Jared Goff or not, Sean McVay took the dude to a Super Bowl. So if you can coach well enough, he'll do what he needs to do to win games. I'm just saying that yeah. if you have a competent guy who's already in his prime and you build the roster around him, Chris will tell you, this is coming from somebody who I, we're both Eagles fans, but I picked the Lions, and we both did when our, in, our, in our preview show. We picked the Lions to win the NFC North because we think oh, Green yeah. Bay is going to take a step back. Kirk Cousins is the king of average, and the Bears are a dumpster fire. And the only thing that looks like it has some sustainable culture is what Dan Campbell's built in Detroit. I don't think you go out there and try to take a risk on a kid that people aren't even sure about. You go get a short thing, whether that's a DN, whether that's an impact linebacker, whether that's something that's going to impact you in a way that's not going to be dependent on whether your franchise is going to stink for the next 10 years. Then you come back I just can't year. believe I can't believe that Trayvon Walker is going to be that impactful of a guy or Trayvon Thibodeau. And I don't think he fits the scheme for the Lions. Right? So I think worst case scenario, like you earlier mentioned our best case scenario, Lions, you know, we, we keep off, we lose, you know, we win three games, and we get Bryce Young, uh, anyone coming out in the top three, four, five. Worst case scenario, in my opinion, is Jared Goff goes out there and looks competent and wins eight games, doesn't make a playoff, but gets us right in that prime picking of 18, right, 19. And and that's like, and now all of a sudden we're like, oh, man, we're we're overachieving. So now do we do we keep Goff for a third year and, and let him ride it out for a third year? Well, say he doesn't make the playoffs again in that third year. Now Dan Campbell's had three straight years of no playoffs. And as an NFL head coach, if you've gone three years with a team without making the playoffs, it's rare you're coming back for a fourth year. And it might be able to be, like, this might be the one-off situation due to the rebuild that we're in. But what I don't want is Dan Campbell to be sitting there year two, heading into year three on the hot seat, year three heading into year four on the hot seat, or maybe even on, not even on the seat anymore, because Jared Goff is incompetent, but just competent enough to win you a few games. And I'm not going to say that Dan Campbell's Sean McVay. I think that was that was a one-off. I think, given any other coach, Jared Goff never would have ever like made the Super Bowl. Like I, I think that's the power of Sean McVay. I truly do. I think coaching has a lot to do with in the NFL. You know, behind the behind the scenes, in between the lines. Um, 
But so I would rather get Malik Willis right now and let him and Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes grow together. And if ultimately he's a bust and it doesn't work out, chalk it up, man. We've had 70 years of it. At this point, I'm not scared to go back to the well and try to play the safe pick anymore. I want the high, flashing, electric pick. Bring it on. Why not, man? What about, what about trading back from two and That's the goal. possibly That's the taking Corral or, or even Howell or mm. Pickett? I don't need... I don't even need them. If I'm not drafting Malik Willis, I don't want a quarterback. No quarterback need to be drafted after him. I don't need Pickett. I don't. Okay, need so you're pretty much on the same wave. me. you just believe in Willis that much, particularly. But Correct. You, okay. Correct. Then, then Correct. that's fair. Everything I else, else I thought, the, Okay. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. No. I, I. At that point, let's just ride, dog. But that's because we do have the ability to draft Willis. One thing I saw while I was at the Senior Bowl this year was Malik Willis, and in the rainiest day, in the hardest conditions, when every other quarterback was given ninety percent. Malik was out there giving 110. He sat there. There was one point where Mark Brunel turned around and was telling something to him, um, uh, Bailey Zappi and Kenny Pickett. And they dogged it around, and Kenny Pickett didn't, like, get it right, and Brunel goes to yell at him. And, and all of a sudden, there, there's Malik Willis right after Brunel walked away. There's Malik Willis showing Kenny Pickett, hey, I understand we're competitors, and I understand we're, like, I'm competing against you to be the top quarterback drafted. But, look, he's trying to do it this way. Let's, do, you know, watch and do it like this. Next thing Kenny Pickett does, just as Malik Willis, as Mark Brunel showed him. That's just that kind of stuff that you're not going to ever see in any of these Liberty games. You're not going to see in any of these Liberty games. What you're going to have to see is the Liberty practices. You're gonna, I just think that that dude is more of a professional gamer than many people coming out. And that doesn't always result to wins on the field. I get that and I understand that. But with this kid and the electricity he brings, I think for the first four or five years of his career, maybe before his legs catch up with him, he is going to be instantly impactful. And, and I don't know. that. So, yeah, I am a big believer in Malik Willis. I don't know how we got in that whole big old train, but Malik Willis all the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, yeah, the one thing I was arguing about last week is that Willis makes sense because you're not going to ask him to start week one. So he, you can right. rock off this year, have him being in the system for an entire year, learn the system. So then next year, the following year, he has a year in the system, learning everything that he needs to learn about the system. Uh, he's coming back with DJ Sharp, TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, and pretty much whatever in terms of free agency in the draft of uh, other weapons and offensive lines that you're going to give him. So that way you'll be able to take off. thing is, is that the NFC is wide open right now, so there's no long-term – team right now that's going to dominate the NFC for years to come. So, if Malik Willis does turn out to be quarterback one in this draft, and he shows it the following year after being in the system, after drafting him, then you guys are already ahead of the curve to pretty much most of the NFC. And that's what I'm trying to put on, you know, and that's on, like, on pace with what the rebuild is, year's plan. You weren't going to the playoffs, and hopefully we make playoffs this year, but in year two, a lot of Lions fans, and, and just believe, this isn't Still isn't our year. You know, we're still building. We're still... Well, it's like, well, that's perfect then. Let Malik Willis sit there and watch this team build and see how Jared Goff handles himself. Even as a professional, Jared Goff handling himself with the press and the media because all year you know that's what everyone would be talking about if the Lions go and draft Malik Willis at two. Jared Goff, what do you think? Jared Goff, how you handling? Jared Goff, you threw an interception. You think he'll be benched? Like, like he's going to handle that as a professional. And, and it's going to be great for Malik Willis to sit there and watch that if all this plays out according to plan. But the, but the, 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 the what is it? I don't even know. The, the caveat to that is exactly what you said, is that the NFC, is, there's no one this year, and the Lions are playing seven games against new head coach, brand new head coach, 
new head coach. We've got seven games against them. That's absurd, in my opinion. We should, if, if the Lions win five or six of those games, can rally off one or two other wins. Like that's eight win, nine win season, and and, and that's a whole. That's I don't know. That maybe Jared Goff plays really well because we're playing against these new coaches, and all their players aren't right on the same scheme level. And Jared Goff looks great, and then we got great trade. You know, now we now we're trading for a first round pick next year, plus some, and we got Malik Willis to come in. Or Goff is great, leads us to a Super Bowl, and we can maybe trade Malik Willis for something. Who knows? Like, like Trey Lance could probably go for a first round pick right now. So I mean, Malik Willis probably could next year. Who knows? I don't know. There's so many. There's so many. Or the or you draft Kyle Hamilton, the safety, who tears his Achilles like Jeff Okuda in year two. And he's now thought of as a bust, and you know, old Mister Four Point Five Six Forty time over here is oh, doing anything. Jeff Okuda's not. Ah, he didn't run in a straight line. No, I know. Just... The kid got hurt. Jeff Okuda was yeah. balling before he got hurt. You guys got a stud. Yeah. He's gonna be a monster. Yeah, and actually, team. if you look at his like comeback videos, man, he looks like Flash Gordon out there. Dude. He's no, crazy. seriously, that's what I'm saying. So for me, the reason I'm so on this Hamilton pick for you guys is because. He, to me, brings an element of, like, a lot of that kind of, like, Derwin James, what he does for L.A. He hides a lot of things. And I think that it immediately makes you guys a way more competent defense right off the bat. And then he's that tone setter. He's a guy who's going to come in and be a – now, like I said, I'm not – I would just say you're more often going to hit on the high-level athletic safety than you are on the possible boom or bust quarterback. That would be my thought process if I'm in the war room with Dan Campbell and those guys. I'm like, and, and you're 100 percent true. Yeah, absolutely. So, so to that me, I'll, I'll take that spicy take. Though, skip on Kyle Hamilton, second, 34th pick. They take Jalen Petrie from Baylor and uh, oh, watch him just explode. Oh man, he's uh, he's gonna he's my he's my he's I have him. I think he's gonna be a better NFL player than Kyle Hamilton, and that'll be my spicy take for the day here. Like, wow. I love him so much. He's He's just going to make whatever team gets him so happy. And honestly, in my boxes, but he's been dropping to, like, the Chiefs. Like, replacing Matthew with him. It's just, it would be so dirty if that ends up happening. Oh, that would be disgusting. I, I just hope he falls to the second round so the Eagles can get him. Oh, well, yeah, yeah second round. Matthew, I mean, it, it would probably be a reach Willis. to get him. <laughs> Wait, yeah, well, I, I said, if you guys sign Malik Matthew, Willis. I mean, then I'd take Malik Willis at that point. All, I mean, yeah. honestly, nobody's going to say this and everybody say it would be dumb. Why not take Evan Neal? I know it sounds crazy. Make him move him to right tackle. Then you already would have one of the best young tackle combinations but in the league. But Panay Sewell's playing right tackle, right? No, yeah, Panay's we just left. did that last year. Panay is a left. Just did that same thing. No, Panay's playing right tackle. Taylor Decker, who just signed a five-year contract two years ago, is playing left tackle. He's not going to be moved. The question is, like, instead of Evan Neal, get Icky. Um, I can never pronounce his last name. Ekamawanu or something mm-hmm. like that. Oh, um, a kid from uh, not Stanford. Uh, He's right up there, and he's he's projected actually to be right with Evan Neal as one of the top left tackles to be drafted. However, he can also sw- he can play guard, and I was bringing up I said, man, if we let him play right guard, we would have the most solid. We'd have Frank Ragnow in center, Jonah Jackson a left guard, a pole bowler. We have Taylor Decker, we have Panesuo, and we'd have Icky, and That's it would be saying. the dirtiest. And that would be a gross. And, and you guys would never have to throw the ball ever again. That's my thing <laughs> with the golf thing. You don't need him to be. <laughs> you were- Exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying. He knows how to he knows how to play ball. I'll say that with Jared Goff. Everybody does the whole oh he's incompetent thing. I don't know. A lot of Jared Goff's the deficiencies are a lot like Jalen Hurst's deficiency. It's arm talent more than anything else. Oh yeah. I mean honestly here's I, I, I think I like I think Jalen Hurts can win more NFL games 
than Jared Goff in any given like season with any given team. But I think Jalen Hurts' arm talent, arm accuracy is light years below Jared Goff. Like, and that's deep ball, flat, like crossing routes in the middle, wherever you want to throw it. Jalen Hurts is, in my opinion, a really rough arm. And I'm, I hate to say it. I no, hate to say what, it. Oh, trust me, you're preaching to the choir here with Chris and I. <laughs> okay, well that's good because I like my buddy Adam loves him for fantasy, especially. But I'm just like, dude, I can't get behind Jalen Hurts. So what? I mean, would you guys? Are you guys? Contemplating Kenny Pickett or Matt Cole with one of your 45 first round. No, I want to improve the roster. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in the small minority. I'm in the Carson Strong camp, but who? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> good, good third rounder that you get. In. He's, he's got. You should be careful of his injury past. You know what I mean? Oh but yeah, yeah. He's healthy. He's good. That's oh yeah, sure. the guy, the guy threw for 4,000 yards on like on a bad knee. So like now the knee brace is yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But well, yeah, but one we, bad hit, man. You know what I mean? You get. You you one Carson Wentz hit away from just oh. getting right back to where you were. You know what I mean? You're like, ah yeah. oh, man, really does cycle around. Yeah, but but you got three draft picks. I mean, who are you guys drafting? I want the who cares about the Lions? You know we're gonna be in the top ten drafting again next year. You guys might have a chance to freaking make it to the to the I don't know to the playoffs and farther. Like who are you guys drafting? All defense. I just did a mock and I had you guys getting uh, Stingley and. Devin Lloyd, and then on 20th pick or whatever it is, 19th, I had him get in. I had you guys get in. Do, 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 do. Darn, I can't remember. Oh, oh, I've reached up for Jackson Hill. That's what I had. Oh, okay. Two secondary. Two secondary. Uh, what, what did you guys think about that? Any, I, I honestly wouldn't hate that draft, but personally for me, I feel like the first thing we need to prioritize is get the best player at their position because of the massive drop-off, and that's Tyler Lindenbaum from Iowa. Because we only got Kelsey for one more year, so we need to get a guy in the building to, you know, go ahead and groom him up, and then just learn, just take off a center next year. That's very fair. Would you would you take Linderbaum over Zion Johnson then, if you were calling the shot? Ooh, that's tough. Because I love Zion Johnson. The problem is, is that I don't know who's going to play center next year for the Eagles. So yeah, it's a gr- I know, and I could go back to Linderbaum with that. That's uh, yeah, that's, that's that's such a playing chess right there. Well, everyone else is doing my, that's playing, you know, playing checkers, you're playing chess. I like that. Thinking of next year, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, my only thing is I, I want Garrett Wilson to be in a Philadelphia Eagles jersey any by any means necessary. But, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, Nick, once again, Same man, with the Lions. Yeah. yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, Nick, man, once again, we appreciate you calling, man. Um, you know, sure. good luck in the draft. Uh, we'll talk soon. I love it. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. All right. Once again, you're listening to 98.5 WJYN, the running back sports show, Sports for the Culture. we got about 10 minutes left. And without further ado, we're going to close this show out in no other way than Carm's Corner. Do you be like your dad? You know what he says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where's my music? I ain't going to say the rest. <laughs> Anyways. Alright guys, so it's been a while, but welcome to Carm's Corner. If you're new to the show, Carm's Corner is where I talk about pretty much anything that I want. But usually I talk about women in sports. It's just things that are going on in the world that I think are important. So, because since this is going to be our last show in Women's History Month, I'm going to just focus on um, 
some a lady specifically um it's gonna relate to something that we've been talking about earlier and i think it just kind of got overlooked because of all the drama with the will and the slap and all that that happened um so i just want to bring up the fact that at this past oscars that just passed i'll be just this past, I just passed. um so if you've been living under a rock for best supporting actress ariana debose won um, for her role as Anita in West Side Story. Um, she's the first openly queer woman, Latina woman, to win the award. So that was historical. But the crazy thing is, Ariana actually has won the same award for the same role that Rita Moreno won 60 years ago. So Rita Moreno is a Puerto Rican actress from Puerto Rico who won the award um, in 19... Hold on, make sure I get it right. In 1962, she won Best Supporting Actress for the role of Anita. So they both played the same role, won the same award, 60 years apart from each other, which I think is really cool. Um, Rita is from Puerto Rico, um, and Anita is from the United... I mean, Anita. Ariana is from the United States, but she is Afro-Latina, and her mom's white. So... Yeah, so I think that's really cool, that fact alone. But just to talk about it, I want to get into Rita Moreno, if you're not aware of her. So, she's a legend in her own right. She's actually an EGOT winner. If you guys don't know, she's won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony, which she's in very small company. Not many people have done that, especially being a Latina woman. She has this great obviously honor of being an EGOT winner so just to go into more details about that I want to talk about her because I recently watched her documentary called just a girl who decided to go for it and it's really interesting about her entire life her ups her downs she was born December 11th 1931 in Humacao Puerto Rico so she was born in Puerto Rico 1931 um she came to the United States to New York City when she was very young with her mom she left her dad and her brother behind. And the funny thing is, after they left Puerto Rico, she never saw her brother again. So, um, which is kind of, I thought that was weird, but I guess it wasn't uncommon for those times. Um, so just so just to go off of the things that her career, so in her career, she dealt with a lot of, you know, racism, sexism. Um, and when she was starting out in the 40s, early 50s, being a Puerto Rican woman, being a Latina woman in those days, there were not roles for a lot of women, especially women of color, Latina woman. And she was always offered the role of like tribal girl or maid or girlfriend or, you know, like uh, island girl, stuff like that. Everything with that, anything that required an accent or to be something that's like, you know, ethnic. That was the role she was getting offered. She never was offered a lead role or anything like that. She dealt with a lot, a lot of, um, you know, racism, sexism, all that up, up and coming in her career, especially, like I said, being in the early 40s and the 50s, where that was just the common thing. And it wasn't even looked at as something wrong. It just was what it was, right? So just to talk about how she won all her awards. So her Emmy, she won um, during the 1970s from a TV show she appeared on in 1976. She won at the 1977 Emmy, she won for Outstanding Continuing or Single Performance by a Supporting Actress in a Variety or Music when she appeared on The Muppet Show, which is cool. I did not know that. I thought it was something else. I did not know she won an Emmy from The Muppet Show, but she did in 1977. Um, she won her Grammy in the 1970s. Um, she was a featured cast member on the popular children's TV show, The Electric Company. Some people might be familiar with that show. Um, 
it aired on PBS and they had sketches and guest appearances, kind of like influences like what we know today as SNL. It was kind of that same kind of vibe just for children. So she won at the 1972 Grammys. Um, she won for the cast won for best recording for children. So she won her Grammy that way. Her Oscar, like I just said, in 1962, she won Best Supporting Actress for playing Anita in West Side Story. Um, and then the crazy thing is, she didn't get, she didn't do another film after um, West Side Story until 1968. So even though she had won the Oscar for West Side Story, even her documentary, she talks about it, how she was still kind of stereotyped and she wasn't getting offered the kind of roles that she felt like she deserved. So she kind of had to do all these other things. She, she, I wouldn't think she went back to like Broadway acting and stuff like that because she wasn't getting the roles she felt like were the you know roles she wanted to play. So it's crazy because she won the Oscar. That's the highest pinnacle of acting and she still couldn't get the roles that she felt like she deserved being a woman of color in the industry, which is insane to me. And then lastly, her Tony, she won in the 1970s as well. Um, she went to bro back. She went back to Broadway and played in the Broadway hit The Ritz in 1975. Um, she played the character called Gugu Gomez, who was like a wannabe singer-dancer. And she kind of played off a Puerto Rican stereotype. That character was kind of like her, kind of not making fun of, but just playing off of what people wanted Puerto Ricans to be in different media and stuff like that. So she just kind of like played it to the max. Like, if this is what you think that we are, this is what we're going to do. She played that kind of role. Um, and she won for Best Featured Actress in a Play at the Tony. So again, she's an EGOT winner. And when I was watching her documentary, I was definitely very inspired by her. If when something she's kind of infamous for is she had this romantic, I guess today we would call it entanglement with Marlon Brando. Her and Marlon Brando were together on and off for like seven, eight years. Um, so people know her for that, which is kind of not cool because apparently Marlon Brando was a real big womanizer and they went through the ringer with each other. But definitely interesting fact about her, but she was married. Um, for many years and had one daughter she has two grandsons and you know her career and her life and everything that she went through especially being in the industry and you know being discriminated against and even after having all these awards and accolades you know still having a struggle and you know you would think oh she's at the top of her game but it's like she still had to kind of fight for her respect and she's still in the industry right now she's 91 years old and she just played in West Side Story the remake with Steven that Steven Spielberg directed that just obviously um Ariana just won at the at the Oscars for, but she's in the new West Side Story. She plays Doc's wife in the. So if you've seen the original West Side Story, Doc is the guy that owns the candy store, and she plays his wife in the new one. And she has a big role in that. So just to say, you know, I'm definitely inspired by her being a Puerto Rican woman from the island and coming here in those times, in that age, and just kind of dominating in the fields and and just having such a span of a career. Like he, she's an EGOT winner. She's not just movies. She does music. She does TV. You know, she does Broadway. Like, she's just a whole class act, you know, jack of all trades. And I definitely admire her. And I learned a lot about her watching a documentary. So definitely shout out to her. And it's, I think it was a good way to close out Women's History Month. Talk about Rita Moreno, very proud Latina woman. And I'm proud to say she is a representative of, you know, half of my homeland. Boom. That's it. It's Crime Corner. <laughs> Mic drop. Yep. <laughs> Once again, that's another edition of Carlos Corner. You can only catch her here on WJYN, the Riddle Bass Sports Show, every Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. That girl, boo. Boo. <laughs> I'm done. Thanks, guys. Thanks. No problem. No problem. No problem. <laughs> uh, man. But before, uh, but before we close the show, there's breaking news. Jeffrey Lurie says that Kelly Green is coming back not this season, but next season. 
Yo, why are we keeping Barnett, bro? Remember, guys, tip your waiters and slap people when they disrespect you. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Don't choose violence, everybody. And I please, I really just hope this weather warms up in Philly. I'm sick of it. Um, you're talking about don't. You just said don't choose violence and hoping for warm weather in Philly. Just by the way. <laughs> was that like a like a double negative? That like, was definitely a double negative. I'm like, I mean, at that point, it's like pick a struggle. <laughs> I'd rather be hot and deal with the nonsense and be cold. Hurt. So that's it. Got it. Not gonna <laughs> I love the smell of dirt bu- dirt bike exhaust in the morning. Exactly. I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind, I don't mind a dirt bike down the street at this point. I mean, that's a great alarm. <laughs> at this point, I don't mind. Listen. If it can be warm out, I'm cool with that. I'm sick of this cold. It's like, it's I need the worst. A beach, a, the beach has my name on it, yeah, so I like, agree. I'm yeah. sick of this. <laughs> Once again, Chris Thomas. It's your girl, Carm. Jamal Thomas. You'll be listening to the Running Back Sports Show Sports for the Culture. You can catch us every Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Until next time, we will see you next week. Later.